Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast. It is our Breeders' Cup special. And if we're going to chat about American racing, then we've got to assemble a top team. First up, the Don, the guru of British-based American punting, the legend from At The Races, Barry Faulkner. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's not possible for us to do the Breeders' Cup without you. Uh, and you're going to be a very, very busy man for the excellent At The Races website because you're basically writing about every single race there i've got a uh, that's my gig for the weekend um cracking through the friday this afternoon and i'll get on finish friday probably when we finish here then uh, finish the left tomorrow morning again to saturdays and hopefully it's all done by friday night well, i'm looking forward to getting your insight for the next couple of days uh, we are also joined by a man who's a familiar face to viewers of sky sports racing he is an international betting expert he's also an international man of mystery and a Guinness connoisseur. Tim Carroll, welcome back to the show. <laughs> good day, Emmett. Good day, Barry. Good to be here, mate. Uh, great to have you both on, trying to get our heads around the track configuration at Santa Anita, pace and draw bias. Barry, what's the crucial things we need to know about both the turf and the dirt before we place a bet on the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita? Well, it's, it's a bog-standard American dirt oval, mile round, seven furlongs turf course. They do have the quirk of the downhill course, which is used the mile and a quarter and mile and a half turf races, which means they start pretty quickly. Um, the turf should be lightning fast. The dirt's interesting, but up to this year, you would have said, um, well, there's only one place to be at Santa Anita, that's on the front end. But um, reports coming through for the last couple of meets there is that uh, the horse is closing, certainly around two turn trips, are doing better than they had done traditionally. So we'll have to just keep a good eye on that uh, over the next couple of days. And there's going to be a couple of races at Santa Anita that are non-Breeders' Cup races. Do you take the view that if you really fancy a horse now and you're getting a fair price, you should take it? But if you're a little bit iffy, possibly just tune into Sky, ITV, Racing TV, and see how those early races are going? Yeah, I think that um, I'd always like to see how the track's running. Um, one thing to remember in, in the track, and Tim knows more about this than I do, that the track superintendent can basically prepare the track the way he wants it. So, I mean, in the old days, um, going back in time, they used to low eye-popping um, fractions, 2,000 sprint, for example. First quarter went in 20.82, a sub-21 second first quarter, because they, they effectively scraped the track down because they wanted the crowd to go, woo, <laughs> when, the, when the number was called. Um, not so bad nowadays, although they'll go plenty quick enough. All they need is a fireworks display, and it'll be like Epsom Correct. all over again, just before one of the most oh. important races of the year. They'll never live that down, by the way, ever. Um, Tim, in terms of the European Raiders, so Graham Dench wrote an excellent piece in the Thoroughbred Daily, uh, thoroughbredracing.com, which was a stark reminder about the European record in California for Breeders' Cup meetings, because we had a fantastic meeting last year, Charlie Appleby and Aidan O'Brien walking away with three winners apiece. Then you go back through how we've done in Santa Anita in the past. Last time it was in Santa Anita, only Aiden, only Joseph, in fact, uh, trained a winner for Europe. That was Irides and the Philly and Mare Turf. Um, and three winners at Del Mar in 2021, when it was last in California. All three trained by Charlie Appleby. And with the greatest of respect to a very talented trainer, not a man we'd be hanging our hat on with the way his stable has gone in form. So how do you feel about the European Raiders and how difficult will it be for them to perform in Santa Anita at the 40th running of the Breeders' Cup? Well, I, th I think there's a couple of things to take into consideration. Yeah, let, let's be honest, that the 
European turf forms are a lot stronger than the American turf forms, so we've got that on our side. What we've got against us is Santa Anita, and Barry mentioned it a moment ago, it's, it's a tick over seven furlongs, the turf track. It is a tight turning turf track. Um, and obviously a lot of the European horses, and there are a few uh, exceptions this year as there are most years for the breeders, but a lot of the European horses, the way we ride them over here is very differently. We like to, to ride them quietly. We like to see them finishing off their races where a lot Whereas a lot of the American dirt horses, their speed horses, a lot of the American turf horses are like that as well. But I, look, I think we've got a very good representation this year. And I think you've got to remember too, you know, we talked about the last couple of times it's been held at Santa Anita. I remember going over there, I think it was 2008, and I think back then there was 13 Breeder Cup races and we won six of them. We had a really good year. So, okay, admittedly the dirt then, they had the um, synthetic track and that certainly helped. But I think the Europeans will do well. It's more just having a look at the, the style of horse, which we'll touch on as we go through the races. There's one or two Europeans I think have got really good form, but I just don't think they're going to like Sandra Anita. Yeah, and on that, Barry, um, just in terms of pace angles, like we're going to talk about the British Cup Juvenile Turf first up, so we're on the turf. But it seems to me as though those who are all drawn on the inside, those who are all drawn quite low, um, Crimson Advocate, No Name Mets, Tiger Bell, and Big Evs, they all want to go forward. So is that going to... Yeah. Like, Big Evs is obviously very fast away from the gates, and so is Crimson Advocate, for that matter. But is that then going to spectacularly backfire on those horses when they want to be so far up with the pace and they're all drawn together? I'm not so sure. I think that the one thing that has changed over the last couple of years, we're now sending horses over there and tra training them to actually get out the gate quick. Big Evs is a good example. And in the turf sprint on Saturday, you've got another one who can uh, scoot out living the dream. So, But once you're there, it's a matter of just you know keeping on. And I think Big Evs, I'd love to see him do it, but I think he will come under pressure late. But what it does do is spread the uh, the field out. You can almost win from anywhere in the, in the sprint. Because all the tracks that tend to be used to the Cup are standard type ovals. It's either five furlongs or five and a half. And um, I, I, I'm not as worried as I would have been, let's say, five years ago. Okay. Well, let's begin with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Uh, Big Evs is the favourite. Appleby always trains the winner of the Breeders' Cup. This is Mick Appleby. No relation to Charlie. Um, huge chance, though, of winning. An 11-4 to 4 shot currently uh, is the best price available on this side of the pond. Crimson Advocate, we haven't seen her since Royal Ascot. I know she's been doing some pieces of work that have been all public since September, but it is a concern uh, that we haven't seen her for quite some time. I like her a lot, though. Johnny Velasquez on board, as he was at Royal Ascot. She's a 5-1 to one shot. Uh, George Weaver's other horse, No Name Mets, who also ran at Royal Ascot but did not fare as well as Crimson Advocate, 11-2 to two shot. Sliders, 10-1. to one. Cherry Blossom for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore, an 11-1 to one shot. And then Jessica Harrington and Shane Foley's Gimme the Beat Boys, who cost over a million at the sales just before Royal Ascot. And that has not paid off, but it might pay off here, Barry Faulkner. You've actually uh, identified my, my long shot in the first race. I think I like giving me the beat boys. Uh, plenty quick enough um, in the middle park. He finished fourth there, uh, which uh, a, a finish he, he shares with last year's winner. Came out of that same race in fourth place. Um, been running in the best uh, two-row race, the grade ones over here. Coming up a bit shy in those, but I think cut back to this trip, I just think he's got a knocking chance in this race. Certainly as good as the, the ones you're mentioning, the more obvious ones, big games, etc. It's all about price. And in fact, clearly, 
either Barry Faulkner has gotten stuck in again or Tim Carroll has just jumped on because he also likes the horse. Uh, 12 to 1 has disappeared and 11 to 1 is now the best price about Give Me the Beat Boys. Um, I do like this horse an awful lot, Tim. I think he's got a, a very, very fair chance and Barry makes a, a really strong case for him. You could look back at Royal Ascot and say it was a little bit underwhelming that he was beaten by River Tiber, but that's a very good horse, I think, and we'll talk more about him a little bit later. And he wasn't beaten far in the context of that race either. Disappointing at the Curra, race that probably didn't pan out really well. Um, but behind Van Dijk being beaten three and a quarter lengths, like Van Dijk would lap these, I think, if, if he was here. All due respect to Big Evs. He's a serious sprinter for next season. 11 to 1 is the thing that I can't get away from. The price is just a little bit too big, and betting is all about the price, Tim. Yeah, well, I think you've got to be price sensitive. Uh, look, it's not a race from a, a betting perspective. It doesn't overly excite me, but I'm looking forward to seeing the race. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more boring than you guys. I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, Crimson Advocate. I, I, I thought she was very good in the Queen Mary. She had relief rally in behind it. Yes, we know, relief rally. Well, she's gone on to, to win the Super Sprint in the Louth Stakes, and William Haggis has said she's an all-out two-year-old. So I, I think that form has a... A very nice shake. Now, I know that it's a five furlong sprint on, on turf, but, you know, she does get a few pounds from the boys as well, which helps. The thing I find a little bit interesting is, is George Weaver did say afterwards that, that this would be where, uh, after Royal Ascot, this is where they, they'd head to. But he did say as recently as August they were going to give a one lead-up run at either maybe Keeneland or Belmont. Now, that never happened. I'm not sure why it didn't happen. I don't know whether it was just a change of plan or whether whether there was a little setback. But one thing I would say, if we were talking about even a mile race, I'd, I'd be a little bit concerned. But I, I sort of found, if I can go back to my riding days, and I know that we're talking about when, you know, Moses was playing fullback for Nazareth. But <coughs> I found a lot of five furlong sprinters actually ran best fresh, even if they weren't 100% fit because they were just all sort of coiled and ready to go and look reading between the lines a little bit as well i think george weaver's got quite a big rap on this filly and i think for a young filly to do what she did at royal ascot she's obviously well above average yeah and she was clinging on at the depth like she just clung on but she clung on from relief rally who has only been beaten once and that was by crimson advocate in front of us. say again and, and a long way in front of the others as yeah. well. Uh, let's remember too, you know, Royal Ascot, you're going up a staircase all the way. This this is a flat five. This is a quick five. I think, it will, it, well, I don't think I know it will suit her. It will definitely suit uh, Big Evs as well. I mean, I'd love to see Big Evs weather, if I'm being honest. And I haven't actually had a play in this race, not a serious one. But if I, if I was playing one up, especially given that she's been shopped around at about five to one at the moment, I, I, I think Crimson Advocate would be my play. Yeah, and Barry, in terms of the track configuration, how much of Santa Anita is downhill over the five furlongs for this sprint race? None of it. This is as flat as a, whatever you want to call a flat thing. You say rude things in the <laughs> old days when we were permitted, so I shan't say that one. It involves witches. Um, but uh, no, it's dead flat. You can't get any, any flatter. Okay, so flat as a pancake. So not, not quite that, but speed would be a massive asset for her. Uh, it, it's the same question for me as as Tim. Why has she not run since? She has been picked up by Wadan Racing, who've also just acquired James Doyle as well for his services next year. And it's pretty significant that they've forked out, I'm assuming, a considerable amount of money for a Royal Ascot winning filly. Um, maybe he wants to keep her fresh. Maybe that's the reason. Like She has been doing plenty of workouts, so I wouldn't be overly concerned about her well-being. Uh, it's just... Yeah, I'll tell you that. It's interesting, basically, because you've got a third Royal Ascot winner in the race, well, Valiant Force, who uh, won at 150 to 1 back at Ascot. So, so a lot of Berkshire form coming into Arcadia, California. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, I am with 
give me the beat, boys. I think I'll do some sort of an exacto with Crimson Advocate. Is there a one, two, three for Barry Faulkner? Um, if I was looking at the other, I mean, I, I quite like No Name S. Uh, we was other horse, ideally spotted as well. But um, it's it's a, a bit of a crapshoot. Again, Tim knows, say from his riding days, you you miss the kick here and you're you're gone. You're not going to come back uh, from a from a bad break here. But um, that that would be the one I'd be chucking in in in, in the third slot in a uh, in an exactor, I think. The box. Oh, yeah, but the box exactor. The box exactor for Barry Faulkner. Barry is legend, legendary for the box exactor. I knew nothing about that until I started watching out the races back in the day. And Barry was constantly going on about the box exactors and constantly banging them in as well. So uh, when he speaks, listen to what this man is saying. He's got, he's, he's got this licked. Um, Tim, for you, one, two, three. Oh, look, I, I'm going to be a little bit boring. I like Crimson Advocate. I'm going to put Big Evs uh, in for, for second. That would be my one, too. I haven't really sort of got a, a, a strong opinion out of that, outside of that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Slider runs all right, but I'm a little bit concerned about the wide draw, if I'm honest. Okay. The um, Net Jets Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, grade one, five to four favourite is Tamara uh, for Richard Mandela and Mike Smith. And this one is really the big hype horse from California. We've seen this before, though, Barry. A big, superior Californian horse comes into the Breeders' Cup and then spectacularly bums out. Is she going to be a horse who bums out, or is she a lock for Friday night? Well, you only have to go back to last year. Cody's wish in the the juvenile last year, four to seven, ran like a drain. Um, this girl, obviously, to just run through her history, she's the uh, daughter of Beholder, who won this race in 2012, the next year, she won the Breeders' Cup Distaff. She had all sorts of problems and missed a year. Came back in 2016 and won the Distaff again. She's only the second uh, runner to win three races at uh, the Breeders' Cup, the other being Mighty Gold Decova. So with parentage like that and uh, the sort of form she's shown, uh, there's no surprise that she's been hammered in the, in the market. Um, my uh, uh, question is, is she really that dominant on what we've seen We've got no East and West form comparison, really. Um, you know, you've got three, three two old fillies who are going to be maturing the way teenagers do at uh, different rates. Um, yeah, she did it well enough, but is she such an overwhelming favourite to warrant what she'll go off at? 10 to 11 morning line, she'll go off much shorter than I think on the day. But she's just one I couldn't bet at those sort of prices. Tim, what about you? Look, I like her. I think she's very, very smart. Um, it's interesting we're talking about her, her, her dam there, but Asaya also finished third in the uh, male equivalent of this race. So I think she goes around two turns for the first time. I don't think there'll be any problems there. But my big query is actually she's been a little bit tardy out of the gates. Now, I know she won by a big margin last time and she overcame that and she overcame a, an even worse start. Uh, on debut, but this is going to be a very competitive race. I'd, I'd like to see it come out cleanly, but the one thing I would say, and I appreciate what Barry's saying, she's going to go up. I would think she's going to go up in the red, and I, I wouldn't be rushing into backer at that price, but having said that, I, I really want, wouldn't want to bet against her either, and maybe as a racing fanatic, um, I'd just like to, to see it come out and maybe do something a little bit special. Who do you like in the race? Just, oh, sorry, Barry, go on. No, just think there was a report coming out this week that she's not really impressed the work watchers this week either. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's not looked lackluster, um, doesn't really look up to it, up, up for it rather, which is, you know, again, the old adage, I believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. Um, bearing that in mind, but it is a little bit disconcerting to get a report like that. 
yeah, that's one of the major advantages that American racing has over British and Irish racing. We can get these workouts and these public gallops. If you were seeing the Bally's Oil Battalion, Battalion yesterday, even if I could use my mouth words correctly, it only took 15 minutes for mouth words to appear on the Final Forum podcast today. Um, the Bally's Oil Battalion is a fascinating sight to see all those horses working together. Uh, and hopefully that's information that we can use going forward. When she's this short a price... I'm definitely prepared to give her a skip. I'm a little bit surprised that just FYI is the price she is, given the fact that she's trained by Bill Mott. Um, she's recorded a massive racing post rating, in fact, equal to Tamara. I guess it comes down to the fact that she's poorly drawn, Tim. Yeah, look, at it, it, it probably does. She went around in that grade one, but she won last time out. Uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the form. I, look, personally, I think away from the favourite, her candidate would be the one you'd flag up from the Todd Fletcher yard. She won a grade one at the second start. She looks a very nice filly in the making. The thing that worries me a little bit about, about her, and I suppose at the moment we're kind of pointing everyone away from these market principles, but they've, they've held on to her in both starts so far, and she's drawn down in one. And if you know anything about American racing, you'll know that quite often they don't like to draw low. They prefer to be somewhere in the middle probably, but even high compared to low. But I think she would, if you're talking purely on the form book, she, she'd be the one that I would side with against the favourite. But I just want to mention another one that Todd Pletcher's got here that's a, at a massive price, double figures, scalable. Now, she's only had two runs. She didn't really do a lot on debut, but she ran a lot better last time out when she ran on strongly. Now, she hasn't got those sort of runs on the board, if you like, of uh, a few of the other fillies here, but I just like the way she worked home last time, and I think a high pressure over, you know, the extended mile of a race like this. Don't be surprised if, if she hits the frame here at a big price. She is 25 to 1, uh, currently a $200,000 daughter of Spadestown. Barry, who do you like in the race? Um, I back Candid already, but uh, I tell you a point about um, just FYI. Uh, fascinating, the difference of views on, on figures. You said Racing Post have got a joint with um, the, the other one we are talking about. But if you look at the th other organisation in the States, uh, DRF made the last run 75, Equibase 77, and they're running on the same scale as these guys, and Brisnet go 96. Whoa. So they're, they're the cards we use in the, uh, the used on the uh, other races in the sky. And, you know, one of them, Equibase, had a ring eight points below her previous run, was prison had running 11 points above. So you pays your money, you takes your choice. Um, I think I'd rather believe Brisnet. I think you know, she's got a, an each-way squeak as well. Uh, it's the point Tim's making. We put with three horses there, who we can all see as viable winners. And, you know, we're saying you've got this uh, odds-on shot. Be shorter than 10 to 11. You know, what do you want to do? I know what I'd do. And, and, and the other thing is too, sorry, if I could just jump on the back of that. If Tamara goes for an absolute bath in the bedding and ends up, say, six to four or something like that, that would actually worry me even more, given that the reports we've heard uh, coming out from the track over the last week. Yeah, the only thing with that, Tim, my counter would be that there's a heck of a lot of mug money goes on in the States, in the pools in the States. I'm looking, talking about the pools on the betting over here. Uh, from people on course and once-a-year punters, they'll do Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup. The, the Kentucky Derby, the long shots always go off shorter than they should because yeah. of the, the anti-Doris money in the infield. Actually, when yeah. you're approaching these races, and question for both of you, I'll ask you first, Barry. Um, from our side of the pond, we can obviously have the fixed odds betting, but there will be betting companies who are allowing you to bet into the pool. So for the vast majority of the races, the Breeders' Cup, particularly this one, are you more inclined to go for the pool betting and take your chance against a hot favourite like that? Or when it's the fixed odds, 
is there more of an advantage taking the prices that we can get from the big firms over here? Uh, again, going back to the early days when I was involved in uh, US racing, there was some wide disparities between the fixed odds and the, the pools. They've uh, narrowed significantly, and I think um, there are not a great deal between them. And the view is if you get somebody who's paying best odds guaranteed or you can get a boost, go for, go for fixed odds. Um, I don't think you're going to get much much advantage in the pools. Tim, for you? Uh, look, to be honest with you, Emma, I've got no choice because you know, this is a, a conversation for another day, but I can't get on with any of the firms over here anymore unless I want to bet in five quid, and, you know, five quid amounts, and, and, and without sounding like a, a smart ass, that's not good to me. Didn't you have four winners in Hong Kong today? Uh, five, actually. Yeah, I had a pretty good day. Had a pretty good day, and three of them were at uh, good each way prices. Where we were a little bit unlucky, um, Happy Valley's a very hard track. I, I, I've said this to many people, and don't worry, we won't get away from the American stuff too much. But I think that, it, it, like, obviously, luck is a massive variable in any horse race, but Happy Valley, my goodness, times are by five. And our last selection of the day, Sugar Sugar, who didn't have to be too sweet, actually came out a little bit slow, and I had him mapped to sit sort of the first four or five, and then he ran up the backside of a horse when he looked like he was coming for a winning run. Anyway, long story short, he was the third leg of quite an attractive acker. But I can't complain. The top bet went in, the next bet, next best went in, so landed the double and had a little bit on the other. So, yeah, it was a, it was a very good day, and if I wasn't doing this pod tonight, I reckon I'd be up to about my fifth pint by now. <laughs> I'm not stopping you. You can have pints. We can all. It's Coke. Is this Coca Cola? Is this Coca Cola with uh, vodka? Drink responsibly, everybody, and gamble responsibly as well. Isn't that a YouTube thing? Um, okay. Just FYI for me, I, I think the prices vary from eight to one to twelve to one. You can get ten to one. Apologies, uh, twelve is now gone. Um, slightly concerned about the draw, but I want to take on this red hot favorite. So just just FYI for me, and hopefully another big Grade One winner. For Justify, who's had a fantastic season, particularly for Aidan O'Brien with Opera Singer and City of Troy. Um, Tim, are you going to swing for the fences with the 25 to 1 shot? Yeah, look, just a bit of an each way play on scale. But I, I wouldn't complain too much if tomorrow came out and did something a little bit special, though, because I, I, you know, it's good for the game. It's what, it's what we want to see. Who wins if she wins? Racing. That's who wins. Uh, Barry Faulkner, <laughs> your final selection for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Um, juvenile Phillies was. Uh, Justify, just just FYI. Excellent. That's a little each way problem. I'm going to have more on now that Barry's supporting that horse as well. Uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. The favourite is Carla's Way for Simon and Ed Crisford. James Doyle on board. He's going to start a new job next year, which sounds pretty exciting for him. Uh, Porter Fortuna for Ushin Murphy and Dunico O'Brien, an 11 to 2 shot. She feels pretty, 13 to 2. And content for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore, basically subs for opera singer uh, who they've deemed scratched for the season. She'll come back with classic aspirations next year. I think this horse has got a massive chance and the 10 to 1 that is widely available is more than fair. You did have a stat for us beforehand though, Barry, which I think people will find very, very interesting. Well, it, I hope I'm right with this, but if Porto Fortuna wins this, then the trainer will take over a record from another trainer and who are the two trainers involved? See, now that I know the answer, I don't feel like it's morally okay for me to give the answer, but Tim might have a go here. Yeah, look, I'd like to play along, but I think I do know the answer and found out beforehand as well. He was lurking in the background, Barry! He was lurking in the background, Barry! 
I, I can exaggerate the truth, but I can't tell a lie. Uh, all right, can I can I can I say what the stat is? Yep. Donald Crow O'Brien will become yeah. the youngest trainer at the Breeders' Cup, taking over from his brother Joseph. Youngest well, winning well trainer. Well done, Tim. I knew you were an expert. <laughs> How did he do? The knowledge this man possesses is just phenomenal. Uh, that is quite a stat, though, that Joseph as the record for youngest winning trainer and now Dunica may very well usurp him. Um, Barry, what do you make of Porto Fortuna's chances? Can she win? Well, I, I, what I, I don't know here is why she's a longer price than Carla's way. Um, I, I, I just don't get it. I mean, she won the grade one on the Saturday um, in fine style, going away, looks sure to appreciate the extra yardage here. Carlos Way won a uh, group two the day before. Um, again, she looked really good, uh, beating five rivals, but I think they were pretty much overmatched. And um, so uh, Porto Fischino, I, I think she's a cracker. She's one of my, my bets of the, uh, the, the meeting. Oh, wow. Um, she also won the same race that Meditate finished second in before coming and winning here, so it's a perfect prep run. I don't understand this either, uh, Tim. I, I respect Carla's way, but I can't understand why she's significantly shorter than Porta Fortuna. No, look, I, I would agree with that, but I'm actually going to go with one of the locals here. I quite like um, uh, Ibuku, the three runner. Now, if you have a look at her overall record, she's had the five starts. She's a twice winner, which has been the last two, but she's won two from three on turf since they switched her over, and she had genuine excuses in in that one defeat. Now, last time out, she was given plenty to do. It was in a race where I think they ran a tick under 48 for the first half. So they went along at a reasonable pace, but they didn't go silly. And she came from the back and she ran over the top of them and, and she gave them Wimber when she went by and she won by a margin. Now, I know being that it's a, a, a race on the turf, we, we straight away look at the European fillies, but let's have a look at the pedigree of Buki. She's by Justify out of a Galileo man. I mean, you, this is the sort of filly you'd expect to see in Aidan O'Brien's yeah. yeah. So I think I, I've had a look, and I think she's about 9 to 1 at the moment, top price, and I, I think that's a, a ridiculous price. She will need a little bit of luck because she's drawn in three and they're going to ride it quietly. So she, you know, she'll need to get the brakes when needed. But I really think she could run a heck of a race here. You can go a little yeah, interesting. bit. No, go on, Barry. No, interesting that all the, the, the four uh, feeder races into this uh, division, uh, the winners from all those races have turned up here from the, the other side of the pond. Mm. And Buku is certainly uh, right at the heart to justify uh, one, the Miss Grillo in, um, in New York. Um, but I, I, I like horse coming out of the race, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, the, the Natalma from um, Canada, the winner from that's turned up here, and the one from California as well. So they're all there. The, the gang's all here. The locals have uh, got a, a strong team here. And I certainly uh, wouldn't argue uh, too strongly with, with um, Tim on his pick because uh, I think she's as good as any of them. Yeah, just again, looking at the Racing Post ratings, you'd almost think they were paying us to mention them, and they're bloody well not. Uh, but the, the RPR, <laughs> she's top. She's highest rated of 126, ahead of Porta Fortuna, on 125, and yet you're getting 10 to 1 about her. That doesn't, for a horse with that pedigree and a really impressive win in a grade two last time out on good ground and having already won on, on firm ground, it's, it's mad. And, and it was a big change of gear. I mean, she's got a lovely turn of foot, the sort of turn of foot you associate with a good European filly. You know, like she's not one of these sort of American horses, just speed, 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 can I, you know, outspeed you in a race. She, she was held up and, and when the rider let it go last time, it was just really, really pretty to watch. Um, 
Aiden O'Brien obviously won this race last year. It's not a race he's been prolific in. I thought content came in here a little bit underestimated, and I still think she's underestimated. Uh, her RPR would be way below that um, of uh, Donica's horse, for example, Porto Fortuna, and certainly of, of Boku as well. But I really, I, I'm very taken by the fact that they considered her good enough to go for the Cheshire at Royal Ascot on only her second start. And she kind of dropped back a little bit after that. She was a, a good winner at Leopardstown. Um, I'm sure they were disappointed when she was beaten at Leopardstown in September. And then she completely bombed out on the soft ground at, at the Curra in September. But they wheeled her out a couple of weeks later and she goes and wins under Chris Hayes uh, as a 20 to one shot in a group three and won really impressively that day. She powered all over them. And now she comes into a grade one. Uh, given her pedigree being a Galileo out of a Mecca's Angel, she seems ideally suited and well berthed in stall five as well, Barry. Yeah, she is. I guess I'd worry a little bit about the, the, the bottom of the pedigree, Mecca's Angel being the sprinter. Um, you know, but again, we're in the situation with three year olds. Um, they can advance quite spectacularly at this time of year. Yeah, and Galileo just had that incredible ability to impart not only class but also stamina into his progeny. So the fact that Mecca's Angel was a really, really fast mare, mm -hmm. maybe, just maybe, this mile will suit her. I think she's a reasonable price at 10s, but um, my head is being turned here to Boku, uh, I have to say. Barry, your final selection, Porto Fortuna? Yeah, indeed. And we know that Tim is going to go with the three-horse Boku to the FanDuel Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Uh, I was talking to Luke Elder from Sky Sports Racing for TalkSport earlier on. Locked is his lock of the week. Barry, what do you make of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Uh, well, I, I did send you a note yesterday which, um, where you asked me my views on these races, a little brief summary, and there were four uh, lettered word on the thing I sent you. Probably help. not the one that people are thinking about. It was help with lots of exc exclamation marks. This, I think, is the trickiest uh, race on the first day. Um, you, know, you, you give me horses here. You give me... Um, Prince of Monaco, you give me uh, Timberlake, you give me Lot, you give me uh, General Partner, Fierceness, Muth, you give me any of those horses, I'll make a case of why I could win. I could also make a case why I could lose. Um, it, it, both of them sound as cogent as, the, as you like, and none of them would hold any bit of truth in me. The politicians' answers. I am really flummoxed on this one. I finally came down, I was actually writing this race um, just before I came down, and I think. I've landed on um, locked as well. Um, I think. Well, what, what do you make of his run against Prince of Monaco in the in the best pal? I, I know Moff has since come out in the American Pharaoh and been a lot better, but I just can't get it out of my head how far Prince of Monaco sat behind him and how easily he went by him in the in the best pal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't wonder because you, you look at those two. I mean, they, they both cost a fair old chunk of change, didn't they? Mm. Those two horses. I mean, was it? Um, was it Muth was two two million dollars yeah, earlier this year, and Prince of Monaco was uh, nine hundred and fifty thousand. That's pocket change for some people, I know. But, uh, but yes, it, 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 it's there are so many different confusing threads in this race. Basically, uh, emphasising what I said to him, I'm, I'm look, looking for you for words of wisdom, mate. Tim Carroll, take it away. Yeah, well, look, I'm going to go with Prince of Monaco. The, the, the one thing I would say, I, I do kind of hope they ride him a little bit quietly. Now, the, the point I'll make here, he's, he's three from three. And when he won the best pal, I know it was a small field, but he sat well off the, the, the front too. And to be fair, he you know, probably went a little bit quicker than what was ideal that day. 
but he, he sustained a long run and he went by him and he went on to win by a margin. Now, when he won last time out um, at, uh, in the fraternity of Del Mar in his first start in the race, both times he was ridden uh, up on the speed, but I just liked the way he went about his business in the best pal. And I, another thing I do like too, we've all got our favourite jockeys and I think Flavian Pratt is an excellent rider, I really do, and he takes the ride. But Again, a little bit like Barry was saying, when you look at this race, I, I could certainly flag up Locked. I, I think he's a big, big chance as well. But I sort of look at the betting, and at the moment, I've got it in front of me, and I, I won't mention firms, don't worry, Emmett, but at the moment, look at the two top price about Prince of Monaco. I, I, I just don't see why he's such a bigger price than, say, uh, Morpheus after what we saw in the, the best uh, in the best power two starts ago. Are people with Muth, are they clinging on to the notion that he just didn't handle the surface at Del Mar and that's the reason why he underperformed that day? Probably, and he went a little bit quickly, but it's not like he was only a neck behind Prince of Monaco. And the other thing is too, like I said, if you watch, Flamin actually took off a long way out on Prince of Monaco. He had to sustain quite a long run that day. And I thought, this will be interesting. It wouldn't have surprised me if something comes back at him on the line. But they, but they didn't. And then he came out and he wins the fraternity. So I, I just think all things being equal on the day, um, I, I, I think it'd be tough to beat again. Yeah. Does the trip worry you, Tim? No. No, not at all. Not, not, not especially given the way he went around in the best power. I, I just thought, you know, if, if, if anything, the sort of further they went, the better he looked against Moff that day. Yeah, but, but having said that, I know that there's a lot of um, sort of, I suppose, good vibes coming out of the, 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 the Bob Baffert camp about Moff. And I know he cost a lot of money. He's named after a very good friend and a client of Bob's. So, you know, he's a little bit of a sort of high horse. And he did look good in the American Fair, to be fair. But... You know, Prince of Monaco, there's no such thing as bad winning for him, and he just keeps winning. I think Prince of Monaco is a very, very fair shout. Six to one is the best price available on this side of the pond. We'll move on to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Uh, it's a race Aidan O'Brien has won three times in the last eight years, and he's firing a lot of bullets at it this year. River Tiber, the 11-4 to favourite, unquestionable. Frankie DeTore rides him. Ryan Moore, the choice, uh, has chosen River Tiber. Uh, unquestionable comes at a stall eight uh, he's a four-to-one shot, and he's also throwing in Mountain Bear, who was really good on the synthetic at Dundalk last time out. He is drawn wide, but a great opportunity for Dylan Brown McGonagall, a uh, twelve-to-one shot. No name ever was very, very impressive the last day. This is all about the Aidan O'Brien horses, in my opinion, Barry. And I think this is not only going to be a one-two for Aidan. There's a very strong chance he'll have the one-two-three here. Uh, what colour underwear have you got? And is it, is it sort of uh, white, green, and and? Uh... On orange? Well, I am wearing a Highland Real baseball cap, the greatest Breeders' Cup turf winner. Okay. I apologize. He's not the greatest Breeders' Turf winner. The greatest Breeders' Cup turf winner was obviously High Chaparral. Highland Real was the second greatest Breeders' Cup turf hero of all time, and I won't hear another word about it. Um, but these two are miles clear uh, in terms of class of everything else in this race, and I do think they will fight out the finish. Uh, that would not surprise me at all. Um, Slight concern about River Tiber at the trip, possibly, but possibly not. Um, like the like what he, he, he did um, last time. He said behind Van Dijk, who's the best there is over here. Um, uh, you know, you like I loved his, his Coventry Stakes win, and I think he's he's the the most likely winner and the most likely runner up is unquestionable. It's, uh, this seems more more straightforward um, than the earlier races, unless Tim's got something lurking up his sleeve. 
No, I, I kind of agree with everything Barry has said there. I, I think it's worth pointing out there's been 16 runnings of this race, and you touched on it, Emmett. Uh, Aiden's won it five times. He won it last year with Victoria Road. He, he, he knows what type of two-year-old to bring over. With River Tiber, uh, Tiber, I've got exactly the same concerns, Barry. He steps up to the mile for the first time, but this is a really tight-turning track, as we know. And I just want to make the point, it's, uh, it's roughly seven furlongs in diameter on the turf track. I think it might be just slightly more than that. So they start about a furlong before the winning post. It's not really much of a run to the first turn, and I kind of think the draw in two is really, really handy. I think Ryan Moore, wherever he wants to put him, I think he'll be able to get him into a good spot. Whereas I think for Frankie, it's a little bit more tricky with unquestionable draw um, uh, out in eight. And getting back to a horse you mentioned a moment ago too, Emmett, uh, Van Dijk. Well, River Tiber won his first three. He's been placed in behind Van Dijk his last two. And for mine, personally, I, I just think that's the best form on offer. If he gets the mile, and I think he will on a tight turning track, I think he's the one to beat. Yeah, there's, I spoke to Aiden last week. Uh, on the final furlong for both the final furlong podcast, but also for Talksport, and I know he's since spoken to at the races for a stable tour, and in both of those, he emphasised that we all know there were documented issues with River Tiber before the pre-morning um, when he's beaten by by Van Dijk. He hadn't had uh, a clear run, and it was doubtful he'd even participate that day. Everybody seemed to think that on the back of that, I certainly did that he might turn the form around with Van Dijk in the middle park, but he didn't have a clear run up to that race either. They had more issues with him. So you are going for excuses. I'm like the fat guy in the milkshake store clutching at straws. You are going oh. for, you are going for excuse. oh, excuses with them. Um, but I'm really taken by how incredibly bullish they were about him at Royal Ascot for the Coventry stakes. And there was that whole thing about Johnny Deneen and, um, uh, our good friend Simon Rowlands, uh, should you be using sectional times and how valuable are they? And Johnny was very much in the River Tiber camp and the rest is history. But the quotes from Ryan Moore after that, I mean, Ryan doesn't say much, but when he does speak, it tends to pay to listen to him. Um, he talked about how it was a 20-runner field and River Tiber just towered over everything. And that in his opinion, at that point, he was a Jewhurst horse and he'd have no problem going up and trip. Why they were running him over six furlongs still is a bit of a question mark. And now stepping up to, you know, he's got to prove that he can actually stay this trip. He's bred to. He should be able to get a mile without any issues. The fact that Ryan Moore has chosen him. Like Ryan is not going to just hand Frankie Dettori a Breeders' Cup win because this is maybe Frankie's final Breeders' Cup, and it's probably not now. We all know that that farewell tour went on way too long. Um, Ryan is desperate for wins, and his record... It's very rare that he's on the wrong one. Age of Kings at Royal Ascot, he got that one wrong, but it's it's a rarity that he picks wrong. So for him to choose River Tiber after having said that after the Coventry, I think bodes really well for him. Um, the draw and stall too is, should suit. He should get a really good toe into the race. He's got a really good finishing kick. And if he's come for, they seem to be very, very happy with him now and he seems to be working quite well over there. I think he'll win, quite frankly. Um, Unquestionable has the more proven stamina and was second in a group one over seven furlongs last time out. He was very unlucky in the Phoenix Stakes. He banged his head on the stalls and lost a shoe. And Very reasonable excuses as to what went wrong at the Curra. That was a really good run behind Rosslyn. Rosslyn is a, a top-class horse um, and, and represents that incredible listed race, the Pat Eddery, where almost everything that ran on it has now won a group one, including him. Um, but I, I think it is going to be Ryan who's, who's in front. 
And if Aiden O'Brien does win this race, whichever of the three does so, it'll be his sixth individual Group 1 winning juvenile of the year. His two-year-olds this season are unbelievably good. So I'm, I'm very bullish Aiden will win it. I think it will be with River Tiber. Um, but I will definitely be doing Box Exactus here, River Tiber, Unquestionable, and Mountain, uh, Mountain Bear. And I will also do the trifecta of some kind on those three as well. Um, Tim, final thoughts? Yeah, look, I, I, I like River Tiger. I, I think he's going to be very tough to beat. I, as I say, I, look, I think he'll run the mile. You point there when you look at his pedigree, he should really run a mile when he's here. If anything, he should be more of a mile than than he is a sprinter. And it's a very good point you make about Ryan Moore. There's there's no second guessing there. We know Ryan gets first pick, and we know that he gets put on the one that they think is the the most likely winner. Just quickly on Aiden O'Brien, if I could add as well, and I, I know we all sing his praises and rightfully so, but when you look at the Breeders' Cup, Wayne Lucas, 20 winners, the most successful trainer at the Breeders' Cup. Bob Baffert, 18, the second most successful. Joint third, Chad Brown and Aiden O'Brien, 16 winners. I mean, it's it's incredible to think, and I know, you know he's, he's got a lot of weapons to work with, but it's incredible to think that Aiden O'Brien has had 16 winners at the Breeders' Cup. It's extraordinary. This is the 40th running of the Breeders' Cup, and he's already on 16 winners. And it's even more impressive when you're considering the fact that these horses are being shipped over from Ireland. Like, he's not an yeah. Irish trainer based in New York. He's an Irish trainer based in Ireland. And, and the thing is, as you would well know, um, the, the ground in America is normally pretty quick, especially when they run these races on the West Coast. It's very different to the sort of conditions they get in Ireland. So not only do you have to have a horse with the right ability, then they've got to have the right attitude. They've got to be able to travel, a little bit like Ireland Real. But then you've got to find a horse that you know is going to go on these tight-turning tracks that quite often are quicker ground than anything they've ever experienced over here. Siri, what age is the racehorse trainer Aidan O'Brien? We'll ask an Irishman to give us the answer to that one. You've got an Englishman in Australia here, so I think the Irishman should answer that one. I have a feeling he's 53. I'm, I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm going to go 54. Okay, I think he's... The reason I'm saying this is... Aiden, so, whatever about the Breeders' Cup, 40 years old. Royal Ascot is over 100 years old. Tim's going to Google it for us. This is the great advantage of doing this on, on video. Royal Ascot is over 100 years old. He's the winning most trainer in the history of Royal Ascot. He's trained more classic winners in Britain than any trainer in the history of horse racing. And he's what age, Tim? He is, and I've only just got you. He's 54. He turned 54 on the 16th of October. First of all... You lost the photo there, Tim. First of all, happy birthday, Aidan O'Brien. Secondly, Jesus Christ, I have to question my life decisions. I'm 41. That man is the greatest racehorse trainer in the history of this sport. He's achieved everything that can be achieved. The records he's already set, trained more grade one winners, 28 grade one and group one winners in a single season than any other trainer. Beating beating his own record, Bobby Frankel then beat that record. Then Aidan O'Brien comes and beats that record as well. It's phenomenal. Can, can I tell you a, a quick story, guys, because I think it'll impress you. I remember I was doing the, um, it was years ago now, I was doing the on-course for Labrooks uh, at the St. Ledger. So I, I went and approached Aidan. In fact, actually, my producer went and approached Aidan and said, do you mind doing an interview for the sponsor? He said, yep, sure, no problems at all. So I went up to Aidan and, you know, Aidan wouldn't know me from a, a bar of soap. And the first thing he said to me, he said, uh, what's your name? And I said, oh, Tim, Tim Carroll. So anyway, we start the interview, and I don't, I don't I can't remember what I asked him. I think he had three runners in the big one. I probably asked him about those. And he answered them straight away. He said, well, Tim, 
And I quickly realized that the reason he asked me my name wasn't to shake my hand or something like that. It was so he could be professional in yeah. the interview. And I, I remember walking away from that thinking, wow, like apart from the fact that you can train a horse, you are one classy individual. Yeah, he's an incredible, he's a great ambassador for the sport. We're blessed with the we're blessed with the people we have representing it. John Gosden's an incredible speaker. Charlie Appleby speaks eloquently as well. But there's Willie Mullins, obviously, but there's few better than him, than Aidan O'Brien. It's remarkable. And the time he gives to all of us in the media. And I think the crucial thing about that is they all, and particularly Aidan, they know that the best way to attract more fans to the sport is by talking to the media because we'll get it out there. Yep. And he, he gives so much time to all of us in the in the press, it's incredible. And, and you know, he cops a little bit of flack for saying, "Oh, look, this this cult. Yeah, we've got. Yeah, he's got a great mind. He moves beautifully. He's going to be the next big thing, etc." But what do people expect him to say? Firstly, chances are it is a, a very good racehorse, and secondly, it, it's the biggest racing yard in the world. Of course, you're going to highlight their strengths. Of course, you're going to talk about them in a positive manner. And like, oh, all right, you just read between the lines a little bit and you watch us there as their um, career unfolds. But it really annoys me when people say, oh, he's just going to say this is the next big thing. Well, if, it, if it's a horse that's a serious group one horse, well, then it is a, an outstanding animal. So it, it kind of annoys me a little bit when he cops flack for that. I, and it's kind of, as you just said, what we need is we need trainers, we need jockeys, because the star of the show is the horse, right? The horse can't talk, unfortunately. So we need the players. I mean, people don't really want to hear from me. Maybe about that, they might. But, yeah, they don't really want to hear me talking about a horse. They want to hear Aidan O'Brien or they want to hear Frankie Dottori or Tom McQuan or whoever it may be. So when you get jockeys and trainers that are happy to do it, and Aidan gives a hell of a lot of his time, just because they wax lyrical a little bit, well, so what? I, I, it really annoys me when people are critical of that. Yeah, I, I can understand why some people would be a little bit cynical about saying this is the best two-year-old I've ever trained. When I mentioned Johannesburg earlier on, that famous Tom Durkin commentary, now a champion on two continents. like That was an unbeaten superstar. But the point's been made. Aiden very much lives in the moment. Also, this is a marketing game. Like The flat is very different to our other love jumps racing where... I, 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 Aidan O'Brien is a trainer first and foremost, but he is still in the business of creating stallions yeah. and broodmares. Yeah. So that's what he's going to do. Now, if he's got a, a cult that, he's, that he does think is exceptionally good, chances are he's probably going to, to use a phrase, chuck a few pounds on rather than knock a few off. Yeah. So I don't know why people would be critical of that. Just the fact he gives his time. Now, he might not be controversial, but, you know, goodness gracious, sometimes when we get, you know, we've had a lot of controversy in the game over the years and I think you know we could do with a lot less controversy and maybe a few people just doing the marketing thing. Yeah there's plenty of controversies in the racing world anyway that we're all trying to deal with and navigate without bashing a guy for giving you his opinion and telling you what he thinks of a horse. What I think is really interesting just to bring a close to this is when Aiden does talk about horses like that okay he might hype a horse up and say this is the greatest I've ever trained I think he's entitled to that. I completely agree with you. But he'll also give you a piece of information that you've never heard another trainer say. I never knew anything about um, horses. Be, like Obviously, horses are herd animals. I never heard any trainer, except for Aidan O'Brien, talk about George Washington the way he did, that he is the leader of the pack. And all the other horses, when they were working, he would boss his way to the front and control them. He was the leader of the herd. I'd never heard a trainer talk about that before. And George Washington was an incredibly uh, difficult racehorse to manage. If 
With the greatest of respect, Godolphin, if he was yours, you'd have gelded him. Like, they geld horses super fast. Aiden doesn't have that option. He's not allowed to geld a horse. If, if that horse is not good enough for Coolmore, whoever, if Tim Carroll's going to buy him, Tim Carroll's going to buy him as a full horse, and it's your decision to geld him. Not, they, won't, they won't do that. He had to sharpen his mind and get him to focus on the job. And uh, how he talked about Henry the Navigator adjusting to the synthetics, the way he talks about City of Troy and the fact that they can't tire him at home. Uh, Ryan Moore talking about the fact that he couldn't pull him up that day, that he did something that no other horse that he'd ever ridden had done, couldn't pull him up. And then Aiden expanding on that and how they, they, he'd run through a brick wall for you and everything they throw at him, they can't tire him. That's massive information that we can all use going forward. When he speaks, listen... He might very well be giving you a little bit of a, a marketing ploy, but there's v- invaluable information in there that few other trainers part ways with. Uh, we'll move on to Saturday for the big-ass fans, Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Uh, Naomi Tucker's back on Monday to review the Breeders' Cup with us. Uh, she's currently shooting all loads of content for NBC and the Breeders' Cup coverage. Um, Cody's Wish, look, we all know the story by now. It's an incredible, uh, remarkable story, and there won't be a dry eye in the house if he goes and wins. Question, though, is Barry Faulkner... First live race, ITV4, uh, NBC, obviously, Sky Sports Racing and Racing TV on this side of the pond. Is Cody's Wish going to win the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile with basically his biggest uh, his biggest opponents all now falling by the wayside? Yeah, he lost the, uh, the, the most likely uh, practical move uh, a couple of days ago. Um, it does really look his to lose, and <clears throat> I'm not sure what price he's currently. You can dig that out for me, but... Uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to see past him. I go, I've been through this a few times, top and bottom. There is one fascinating runner in here, uh, and it's from this side of the pond. That's Algiers, mm-hmm. um, who uh, won, finished second in a little race in uh, Woodbine um, at the beginning of last month. He's out. Uh, first, he's, he's out again, is he? He's just come out. Uh, oh. Okay. Because I, I liked him a lot as well. He came second to the... Uh, the Japanese talking horse and the classic in, in Dubai. I mean, I, I'll be staggered if um, if Cody's wish loses. Uh, just looking through, I, I, I really... Hmm, there's only half a dozen in that race. How many are in that race? There are not that many. There were seven runners. Uh, oh, very disappointing. Yeah, it's it's really fallen to pieces now. I think we're down to six. I think oh, down, I think okay. we're, yeah, we are. We're down to six runners. Um it's, this is a point-and-shoot job for Cody's Wish now, surely, Tim Carroll. Well, look, I, I, I kind of hope so. He's having his last staff, and I'm, I'm sure you guys know the story behind him and, and how he was named. Uh, it was all part of the, the Make-A-Wish a Foundation and, and the young lad who went out there to see the horse and they had a connection. Um, so I think it'd be good if he did, but even if we put the sort of uh, emotional side um, of it all to, to one side for a moment. He's a fabulous horse. He's won 10 from 15. He's a four-time grade one winner. He's comfortably got the best figures in the race overall. As we've just mentioned, I was very interested in Algiers as well. Practical moves. Sadly, we know what happened there. And for mine, they were his two bigger, uh, biggest dangers. And now we've got a small field because he's a hold-up type when he won this last year. He sort of ran over the top of them. But now that he's got a small field, that's going to be at least it should play into his hands as well. And, and apparently I've heard he's working very well in the mornings, which is always a good sign. Yeah, the Gallup reports yeah, about him have been very good. They've been excellent. The, the, the clock the uh, clockers report and daily racing form this morning, uh, he got a, got a strong mention. Um, it is, I mean, he's only been beaten the once and that was when he tried nine furloughs. You just, uh, it'll be a, a, a mega, mega surprise if he loses. 
And he's massively clear on Racing Post ratings and most of the speed figures in America as well. Cody's Wish, banker material, 13 to 8 on, 6 to 4 on. That's the best price we're getting on this side. That would be a watch. It's a watching race. That's a race to be talking about, watching how the track's running. That's the race to to, uh, have an idea from that point. It's kind of if he wins, it's the feel-good story, isn't it? It's the feel-good story of the meeting. If he wins on his final start with everything that's gone on around the horse with young Cody, it, it, it's just one of those sort of ones, even if you don't have a bet and you see him win, you'll be pretty happy. Yeah, well said, Tim. Uh, definitely a race to just kick back, watch, enjoy, and crack open a few cold ones to wipe away the tears um, as uh, there won't be a dry eye in the house if he goes and wins. The Maker's Mark Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf. This is a race I will definitely be having a bet in. And I think the market is completely wrong here because Inspiral is favourite for Frankie Dettori and John and Thady Gosden, and I don't think she should be. I think Warm Heart absolutely should be. She's the best three-year-old filly in Europe. Uh, she's a dual group one winner. Both of those wins came under James Doyle on her most recent starts, the uh, the Yorkshire Oaks, and then again on Arc Trials Day when she was way too good in the Vermeil. I'm pretty certain Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore will win this for the second consecutive year after Tuesday's victory last year, Tim Carroll. Yeah, look, I'm going to go for a little bit of value just simply because I'm, I'm going to be price sensitive. At the moment, they've got in Italian, the American mayor. She's at double figures, which I think is ridiculous. She was runner-up in, uh, in this last year, the Tuesday. So we know she's a pretty good filly. She's won seven from 13. She's been runner-up on five times, uh, on five occasions as well, and she's picked up the bronze one. So she's never not hit the frame in her entire career. She's a, a quick filly. She'll jump out. She'll look to lead. So the draw in one looks perfect. And... Yeah, I'm having a look at the moment. You can look at your, your own screen there and tell us something, but I can get double figures about her. And I, especially for each way players, I, I think she could be an each way play. In Spiral, there's got to be a little bit of a query about, about the trip. And then you've got Warm Heart, who I, I think is the, the, the best of the Europeans in this. And I know that a few of my friends in Ireland are kind of saying she's the, the banker of the meeting. But at the prices, I'd happily play the local filly in Italian. Yeah, I'm surprised an Italian is that big. Eight to one is the biggest price I'm seeing, but I think somebody is letting you have tens. How much they'll let you have on, I'm not entirely sure, Tim. That's too big a price uh, for Chad Brown's mare. She's got a, a huge chance here, the daughter of Dubawi, and as you said, second in the race last year. I really love Warm Hearts, Barry. I think she's ideally suited to this. When she won the Yorkshire Oaks, that was on good to firm ground, so the surface isn't going to be a problem for her, and we know she will stay. That's the question mark about Inspiral. She's very, when she's good... She's very, very good, but is she going to be good enough over a mile two? I mean, I think if she's going to stay a mile two, this is the track to do it on. I mean, the first quarter of a mile is downhill um, on the the turf course there, so it's it's not a not a difficult uh, ten furlongs. So if she's never going to do it. This is the place to do it. But I'm absolutely with Tim on this. Um, I'm, already, I'm already on it in Italian. Just checking, I I got I got four teams in, Ita- in Italian earlier in the week, or maybe last week. Um, just from the point that there's not doesn't seem to be a huge amount of speed in this race, race and she's done this in the past, just um, rides them to death on the front end, and there'd be a very tricky task for the the jockeys behind her because she's a talented mare, and uh, Tim pointed out she's got you know all the attributes. We're talking about the price of these. You said you've got a ten to one currently still, eight, eight to one, whatever it is. Eight to one is the best price I've seen now. I, I can actually see fourteen to one with one firm. What? Moment. Yep. Unless, unless what I'm looking at's wrong, but I can see fourteen to one with one yeah, firm. Yeah, you have to look going back into the hall and go going to the individual firms' accounts. You'll see them on the odds comparison sites. 
and you go into the account, the actual uh, yeah. company, is that, oh no, it's only six to one now, whatever. Anyway, but she's she's four to one on the morning line, which I think is, is that's too short. Yeah. I'm back at four to one. But yeah, it's got a crisis. Well, well, the thing is, too, if you're looking at a betting angle here, I must admit, I'm not really an each-way player. I'm not saying it's not sensible, but it just doesn't tickle my fancy. But warm heart for obvious reasons and spiral for obvious reasons. But those two aside, who, who would in Italian fear? Absolutely no one in this race on a form. And we get back to in spiral, stepping up in triple. I do uh, agree with what you're saying there, Barry, as well. If she's going to run 10 furlongs, it will certainly be on this track. The other thing about in spiral, too, if, if you look at a form on good to firm, now that's probably good to firm over here is probably what she's going to get on the weekend. Her, her record on good to firm over here reads 1 1 1 1 2 1. So she'll certainly love the ground. Warm Heart's got the other, there's kind of the opposite problem in, in that she's dropping back from a mile and a half, which just worries me a little bit because. It's not just the last one. I think it's the last three runs, is it, that she's gone over a mile and a half? So, last four. Look, last four, is it? Thank you. I think you've got to go back to May, don't you, the last time she went over a mile and a quarter. And I, you've got to, obviously, you've got to respect the European fillies, and they both bring such a, a, a strong level of form. But I just think, in Italian, this race, she's going to get on the front from the low draws. She's been there before. She's done it. You know, she's in her own backyard. I, I think there's a lot in her favour. Yeah, I think it's a good point to make about uh, Warm Heart dropping back the two furlongs. That's not really being mentioned a whole lot. Um, the one thing I'd say in her, in defense of her in that regard is that run in May over 10 furlongs, she beat Blue Stocking. And I remember yeah. reviewing that race on TalkSport and on the final furlong. And everybody I spoke to was making excuses for, for Blue Stocking and how she was the better horse and she was unlucky and she'd prove she'd prove uh, that uh, that she would have her revenge. And she just didn't. Um, Warm Heart was much the best. Now, Blue Stocking has done nothing wrong for that form. She was very unlucky in the Irish Oaks when somehow Ryan Moore managed to galvanize Save the Last Dance when she hit a 1,000 to 1 in running to get up and win. And she was pretty unlucky the other day in the Champion Stakes or Champions Day in the Phillies and Mare's turf as well. So her win over 10 furlongs at least does have a bit of substance to it, Warmheart. Yeah, look, it, it does, but again, it just worries me a little bit, especially now she's going over a sharp 10. And look, horses are all very different. You've got to treat them as individuals. But I remember when Aidan O'Brien took So You Think to the Ark, and he, he kind of said the following year when, when the horse bounced back at Royal Ascot, he said, I had to pour the work into him. He said, I'm surprised he even survived that just to ensure that they could step him up to a mile and a half. Now, I'm not saying they had to, they'd have to change um, Warm Hearts regime in the, you know, in the same dramatic style, but if she's been going over a mile and a half on testing tracks over here and now she's dropping to a sharp track, and I'd not be aware of that. It is a sharp 10 furlongs. I would imagine the opposite effect, it probably had to lighten off a little bit, but you're still going to have to train her a little bit differently. So I, I, I'm not trying to knock her at all. I, I think she's a wonderful filly and I get it. But when I'm looking at sort of around five to two in spiral, five to two warm heart, depending on what we believe, anywhere from six to one to 14 to one in Italian, I, I, I've, got to, I've, I've got to take the big price about in Italian. Yeah, I think in Italian is, is a hard one to get away from. She's definitely going to be in the exactor for me. Uh, with warm heart, I'm pretty bullish that they're going to be one too. I think Inspiral will be will be showing up here, and hey, I'll have to eat humble pie and send an apology text to Thady Thady Gosden if I'm wrong about that. But I think it will be a, a familiar scene, a repeat of last year, the Tuesday colours and in Italian both crossing the line together. But this time it's Warm Heart who's in front. Um, and just final note on Warm Heart, this has been the plan since she won on Arc Trials Day. 
despite the fact that Coolmore didn't really have a horse for the arc because asking Continuous to win an arc after winning the St. Ledger was a very, very bold thing to do. Mm. St. Ledger winners obviously have a horrible record in that race. Uh, Auguste Rodin was never going for that race and yet neither was Warm Heart and nor was she ever in contention for Champions Day. It was always about here and this race. So Aiden, not concerned about going back to 10 furlongs, again, asked him about that on the final furlong last week. Um, he didn't really have any concerns. It is a very good point to make, though, and that 8-1 to one about in Italian uh, might just be a little bit too big. The Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Boys, I need your help on this one, because I don't have a clue. Some would say, I don't have a clue full stop, but I definitely don't for this race. Um, Goodnight Olive is the even-money favourite. Is she a good thing, Tim? Yeah, I'd have to say so. I, I think so. She won this race last year when she had the brilliant... Echo Zulu back in second. She was actually beaten by that filly last time out in the same race she won leading into this race last year. But the thing is, if you look at the equibase speed figures, she ran a career best last time when she was beaten. And look, beside that one defeat earlier in the year when she well, she was very unlucky, that was genuine excuses, that's been her only defeat since her debut as a two-year-old over two years ago. And she's a high-class filly. Um, I think she's been exceptionally well campaigned this year as well. And I, I, I think she'll take a lot of holding out here. Barry, I think you're with Goodnight Olive as well. I am. Um, I think the thing to, I mean, Tim said she was uh, unlucky at, um, at, you know, a defeat behind Matarea at Churchill Downs. Um, unlucky really does not cover it. Mm. If you ever think you've got an absolute certainty who cannot be beaten, have a look at the, re the re replay of this race. Uh, I've never seen a horse so bottled up in a race all the way through the stretch. Irrigates have got absolutely nowhere to go. The only way you could get get past was either go over the, the rail and go through the inside or climb over a couple of horses and try and get the outside. You will never see a jockey more bottled up, and she never got a run at all. It was it was unbelievable. I, I implore everybody, go and look at it. If you think you've got a cert, somebody says, well, these things like this sometimes happen, and that's the only time she's been beaten, and he won't do that again. Um, and, you know, it, again, it's going to be – this is a falling off the chair moment if she gets beaten. <laughs> right. Point and shoot job for a good night, all of them are all falling off chairs if she does get turned over. Uh, the FanDuel Breeders' Cup mile is over, obviously, a mile. Surprise, surprise, shock horror. Uh, Maj, the 1,000 Guineas winner, who came back with a success in Keeneland uh, earlier this month, is the, earlier last month, I should say, we're into November now. Uh, that was on the 14th of October. Oshin Murphy went over for the ride, and of course, we'll be on board again. Uh, three to one shot. Songline for the Japanese is a seven to two shot. Master of the Seas may very well be the big danger, and in the same ownership <coughs> as the favourite. A six to one shot. William Buick and Charlie Appleby. Um, yeah, again, it's been a tough season for Charlie Appleby, but this very well could be a redemption moment. Uh, and Kalina, winner on Arc Weekend against Kinross, who kind of franked the form with a big run on Champions Day, uh, seven to one shot. Barry, I think you're very keen on a horse here. I am. Uh, Songline was being targeted at this race last year, and um, there was a sort of hiccup along the way, and uh, she was uh, unable to, to take part. But there was a, a big, big um, uh, word for her. Uh, for that race and the preparation this year everything I'm reading is targeted at one race this race and uh, she's the one for me Tim yeah she's the one that actually really worries me she's won a couple of great ones earlier in the season over the mile in Japan which puts her in the top echelon of miles uh, of miles in Japan and that makes her a serious player here but 
I'm going to stick with Marge. I was actually on a, on its state side when she won the Queen Elizabeth Cup last time, and I thought that was a really impressive return. It was her first run in over five months. She went over nine furlongs, i.e. beyond the mile for the first time. She took a right old tug. I thought, well, she's going to fold late on here, but she kept binding. Now, I'd like to think that that's going to knock the edge off her a little bit because she was a little bit keen in that. I like the fact they've gone for the mile because she's naturally quick, which will help her here. I'll get back to that point over the mile here at Santa Anita. You sort of a, a along the bit before the, the first bend, and she's obviously going to be on the front end somewhere. I, I think if you had to nominate one horse, one horse who was entitled to improve the most from their prep run to race day, at the entire meeting, she's the one I'd nominate. I think she'll take a decent step forward, and I think she's going to be awfully tough to beat here. But the, the Japanese filly song line does worry me. I, I think, and Barry might be able to correct me, I think she normally posses up in about mid-division over uh, in Japan. Now, if that's the case, she's probably going to have to make up a little bit of ground on Marge. But as I said, I, I thought she was really, really good first up, Marge, and I'm, I'm quite keen on her here. Are you a little any worried at all about the fact that this is just three weeks after that and she had a, a plenty of tough race there, whether she'll, uh, the, the dreaded bounce, the recoil? Uh, look, I, I mean, you've got to work, because we're not there working with her, we don't know. I mean, it could be the other way. If anything, she was so keen, I'd like to think that we'll just sort of calm her down a little bit because she did run fresh uh, last time out. I, I know people talk about the second up bounce, but unless you've got a horse that's notoriously bad second up, I, I kind of have to ignore it because... If you sit here and think, well, hang on, she might bounce, well, then she might come out and improve six pounds as well. So, which I think, technically speaking, because it's not like she had five months off that was designed, she had five months off after a problem. So, my take on it would be, if anything, she is certainly entitled to come on leaps and bounds after that run. Yeah, and she's a half. The key with the bounce, one thing with the bounce is always does the horse run um, up to or better? than uh, a previous high rating, i.e. If, if a horse has, not, has come back with a, with a run like that and is actually just below the sort of figures she was showing previously, then, yeah, we'll go with it. But um, I, I don't have the racing post rating, so I don't know how they're rating that particular run, which might inform me as to how I would approach her. But I, that, that race was interesting. I think Tim made the good point about it being nine furlongs. I mean, she dug in brilliantly when she was challenged. I mean, she really, she really wanted it. And so she's got that, you know, that, that winner's mentality as well. So if it comes to a scrap, you'd expect her to uh, to get stuck in. Um, no surprise if she wins, and I think this is a, a very interesting race. This. Yeah, I, th- I think they gave her the same rating as, as she got for winning the Guineas um, when she beat Tahira. I'm pretty sure she just they kept her at 118. Uh, and in the context of this race, they've given her a racing post rating of 136, which is just behind ownership companion Master of the Seas on 138, Songlands on 137, uh, Gia Romantico 136. There's a couple of things about it. She's a half to a dual Breeders' Cup winner in modern games, uh, and to a certain extent, modern new, modern news as well. It wasn't quite as good, but um, she's definitely bred for the job. She was... I, I thought she didn't really get the credit for that 1,000 guineas win because Dermot Wellett had been on Nick Luck's show, um, the Nick Luck Daily, talking about how everything mm-hmm. hadn't gone swimmingly with Tahira, and I think she said he was two, she was two weeks off in terms of work. Um, whether or not that's true... I mean, I don't doubt Dermot Weld at all there, but she was she was kept to Philly's races and was the dominant Philly in Europe in Maj's absence. It would have been fascinating to see those two clash again. This is Maj's first run against the boys. 
And there is the potential of the bounce factor as well. I mean, it's it's a real enigma, the bounce. Is it true? Is it not? There are plenty of horse people who will tell you it very much is a thing, but it's impossible to know how it's going to affect. You just have to you have to bear all of that in mind when you're looking at a three-to-one shot, and I can't quite get that out of my head. I'm a big fan of Maj, and when Saibin Saror was talking about going for the Philly Ameriturf, I was shaking my head saying, no, no, you've got to come for the mile. And now that she is here, I'm finding myself going a little bit lukewarm on her. Tim, you've almost talked me back in to the Maj camp, <laughs> but there's there's just this something about her that's that's stopping me from getting stuck in at three-to-one, and I can't quite... It's not really rational. Um I can't quite get away. Master of the Seas is, he's just been screwed by the draw, really, hasn't he, Barry? Yeah, it's, it's not, a, not a great slot to be in. Um, Getting back to Marge, if you want to talk about figures, and Barry will appreciate this, Equibase put 119 on a win last time. Um, I, yeah, I, I think she's run very, very well, all things considered. And as I keep saying, if anything, I, I think she should be lengths better on the weekend. Yeah, I, you were doing that broadcast with Peter T. Fornatel, our good friend, uh, who's been doing some great work on the In The Money Players podcast. And I I was very taken with Maj that night. I was very taken with the runner-up, Lindy, as well. We didn't mention her in the other race. I think she's got a, a fair all each-way chance. But uh, you've pulled me back in, Tim. I'm back on board the Maj train. Let's go. Oshin Murphy, friend of the show, uh, to get the job done. A song line for you, Barry? Yes. All right. The Breeders' Cup distaff. Grade one over a mile and one. The favorite is Idiomatic for Brad Cox and Florent uh, Nine to four. Yes, we'll go with that pronunciation. Thanks very much. Uh, Adair Manor for Bob Baffett. Nine to two shot. Uh, Clarier, a horse we were talking about last year, an eight to one shot. Who are you with, Barry Faulkner? Um, I'm not sure, to be too honest. I mean, Idiomatic is the, the now horse. I mean, this time last year, she'd only won a maiden. And, and then she picked up some bits and pieces races on the synthetic strip at, strip at Turfway Park a little stake race there. Then she came second in a grade two at Belmont. And since then, she's won uh, four graded stakes. Humble in a, a very old-fashioned way, as I've written somewhere else, by Brad, Brad Cox, a group through grade three, a grade two, and then she tries a couple of grade ones and uh, wins them by, by a, a decent margin each time. Not me beating many rivals, but she's she definitely the now horse. The other one you mentioned there, Clarier, and she's the real puzzle in this race. Um, you know, did reasonably well. Won the Ogden Fitz to Grade One in uh, in June. Finished second to Nest in in a, a, a funny race in just four runners at uh, Saratoga, and then ran like an absolute drain behind Idiomatic last time in the Personal Ensign. So what do we do with her? I mean, you know, she was um, well ahead behind the winner last year in this race. And Malathart, I think, the uh, won it, and that filly turns up. She'll win this. But that last run was just so abysmal, and I'm hearing nothing you know, to, to excuse it. Um, but here we are, she's running again in the race, so they, they must be hopeful, I guess. Yeah, I, I suppose the hope for us is that you're getting a reasonable price of her now. She's an 8-1 to one shot, but God, it's hard to fancy her on the back of that. Those last two runs, but particularly the last day at Saratoga, she was awful, Tim. Yeah, she was, but it was on a sloppy track. It was 71 days ago, and I can't, yeah, I can't believe that Stephen S. Musson, the trainer, if his quality would be sending her around, given her record, because she's done plenty already. She's a, an old girl, if you like, five years of age. I can't believe he'd be sending her around if he wasn't happy with her. 
I think when you look at her overall profile, the first thing to say is she's got a, a equal base speed figure of 117. Now, that's four points clear of anything in this race. But the thing that really takes my eye, as far as Claire goes, is she is a stretch runner. And there is once again a lot of speed in this race. For whatever reason, the distance always seems to be run quickly. And if you look at the overall record of the distaff, 15 runnings, only one leader has won it. I think if she's back anywhere near her best, I think she's going to get the perfect race set up. And I think given that she's a, an each-way uh, price as well, I, look, for me, I, she's the one I'd back. There's, there's a lot of pace here, and I can just see them, as we've seen so many times in the distaff, I can just see those right at the front just chopping at each other and destroying each other's race. And... I know you've got to take a leap of faith after her last run, but I like to think she just had an off day. I think it was the slop. You know, as I say, she's a five-year-old now. She might be getting a little bit funny, but I just don't think Steve would have her here unless he was happy with her. And she will get she will get a race run to suit here, and I'm, I'm prepared to give her another chance. Yeah, just going on that speed point, Tim's dead right. I mean, you've got Idiomatic uh, wins off the lead. Adair Manor wins off the lead. Search results led all the way last time. It's not, and I think it's quite as spectacular as uh, two years ago when there was that unbelievably dramatic pace collapse when I'd back Dunbar Road at 20 0 in the week and that <laughs> Japanese poke came and nicked me right on the line. And my therapist said, I will get over it in another two years or so. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like your therapist was right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is, uh, but it, no, that point is exactly it that, uh, that she's the deep, deep closer and the race is set up, they've come along. Eight to one, you know, I, I'd kick myself all up and down the house here if I didn't have a, a, a few uh, few pounds on that one. I'm starting to be persuaded to put this horse into some sort of elaborate lucky 63 at this point. Uh, at eight to one, Clarier, I think I am being, being uh, persuaded here. And again, she does have very, very high speed figures and very, very high uh, ratings as well. If she's back to her best... She was only beaten a short head in this race last year, uh, to be fair. Then 8-1 to one is probably too big. It was a good renewal last year, too. It yeah, was. cracking. Better renewal last year than this one, I'd say. On paper at this stage, yes. To the race of the night, race of the weekend, the Longines, Breeders' Cup turf, Auguste Rodin, the 11-4 favourite, Mastodaf, second highest rated horse in the world, 3-1, to one. King of Steel, 6-1, to one. Frankie Dettori for Roger Varian, Ernesto placed in the arc, 15-2, to two, up to the mark. They could have gone for the mile, they come for this race instead, an 8-1 to one shot, Tim Carroll, this is the race of the night. Yeah, and there's a lot of people saying it's the second best race we've seen on turf this year behind the arc. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's obviously a very good renewal. A fascinating renewal, and all of those you've mentioned I've got a lot of respect for. But look, last time I had a look, Shariah, the Japanese um, five-year-old, he was 16 to 1 earlier in the day. I must admit I haven't had a look in the last couple of uh, hours. Now, to be fair, when you look at his form, there's sort of peaks and troughs there. But this is a horse that's been placed in a, in a couple of Japan Cups. He's a derby winner. He's a Shima Classic winner. Now, I know that he was disappointing last time out, which was 76 days ago, but he subsequently had a wind on. They found a problem there, and I think that that would go a long way to explaining that. I think he comes here as well. He comes after a two-and-a-bit-month break, which is exactly what he did before he won the Derby, he won the Shima Classic. I think he was off for about four months before the Shima Classic. Um, he's also quite 
versatile tactically. So I would think from the low draw they'll probably have him pretty handy. Again, there's, there's, I could make a, a pretty strong case for a few of these, and I, I, conversely, I, I could put a knock on a few of these. I, I personally, I'm, I'm happy to take on King of Steel. I'll explain that in a moment, but I just think at the price, I, I think he's ridiculously well priced at sixteen to one, and I, I think he'll run a hell of a race from the inside. It's funny because I was looking at him today. Um, extensively, and I agree with you. I think he's going to run a huge race. It, it's easy to forget how how short a price he was initially for the Prince of Wales at Royal Ascot last year. He was three to one, and he didn't run that badly. And to be fair, you know, he came all the way over to Europe, and he didn't run that badly. And I, I, I know you could say that he disappointed in the end, but he's a proven traveller. He's gone to Dubai, and he's won. So we know he trusts. The other thing I would say about the Japanese too: they, they, they don't take their horses away just so they can have a party. They're quite concentrated on it. And I know that he bombed badly last time, but he, he as I say, he's had a wind up. And I, I can't believe for one second they take this horse to America for the Breeders' Cup unless they were very, very happy with where he's at. When you look at his overall record, when you look at the way that this race maps, I think 16 to 1 is nearly insulting. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, that Prince of Wales stakes last year was an absolute farce, except for one horse and one jockey, Shane Cross, who was chef's kiss. State of rest. Oh, that yeah. was absolute magic on State of Rest. Um, and he was only been over three lengths. It's not like he was annihilated. Yeah, he lost very little in defeat, but also he drifted like the proverbial just before mm. the off. So they clearly something wasn't quite right because that betting market was telling you how he was going to run before he even did. I'm very intrigued by the fact that they've brought him over here, being beaten, being lapped last time out, and yet you're still considering bringing him over for a Breeders' Cup turf and then doing it. He's a player. He wouldn't be a win bet, but he's definitely going to be in the trifecta for me. Um you were talking about King of Steel. I'll, I'll stay with you before I go to Barry. Why are you against him? Uh, look, I, I, I don't like the way this race is going to shape for him. He's drawn out at 11. I think he's going to... I, I don't think they've got any choice. They'll have to hold on to him. Now, he's kind of, in a way, he's got a similar profile to Yabir. Yabir won this race a couple of years ago as a three-year-old. He's a, a big lad like King of Steel, and William Buick rode him from the back, gave him a great ride, and he ran over the top of him. So we know it, 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 it can happen, but... With all respects to your beer, I think this is a lot better renewal. Now, at some point, even if they run along, and this should be run at a, a proper gallop, I'd like to think, even if they do, at some point, King of Steel is going to have to go buy a lot of good horses to win this race. And on top of that, let's not forget, he had an absolute gut buster at Ascot, and that was only 14 days ago. I really like the horse. Like a lot of people, given what he did in the derby, given we hadn't seen him for so long, got there too early, no fault of the riders, just the way the race worked out. I've liked him ever since that day. Big fan, but I don't like him in this spot. Yeah, I like him a lot as well. I had kind of turned on him a little bit in that I, I began to think he will win a Group 1, but he'll win it next year. I thought this was going to be just too much for him this season. And I, I was labelling him Westover 2.0, but less good. Um, this is the training performance of all training performances if he comes out and wins this. like That performance on Champions Day was absolute magic. He was the only horse to close from off the gallop, to come from off the pace to win. He was the best horse on the day, and he was the best winner we saw on the day as well. And Frankie was, again, chef's kiss. It was a magnificent ride and a terrific performance from him. But that was a gutbuster, Tim. That was a brutal run on soft ground. And now you expect him to come over to California 14 days later and take on some of the best yes. horses in the world and win. It's too much in my mind. 
Yeah, you're right. And it was a gut buster. And with Bay Bridge running well below par, I mean, if you look at the others there, with all respects, it's nowhere near as good a race as what this is. Yeah. And I believe the plan was Breeders' Cup Classic if he was beaten in the Champion Stakes or if he was scratched. After he won the Champion Stakes, then it was all about the turf. But I don't like him at all in this position. Uh, Barry, what's your view on the Breeders' Cup turf and specifically King of Steel? Well, I, my view is exactly as spoken by you, a wise and erudite gentleman. This is the biggest, the strongest field he's, he's ever faced. And uh, I, kudos if he does it, but uh, I, I can't really see it. A little bit of context for uh, the point Tim was making about the Japanese horse on the inside. Um, in uh, Dubai earlier in the year, he finished fifth in uh, the uh, Shima Classic. Uh, the horse in front of him, fourth, was Mostadaf. Mm. who was a length in front. Mostadaf is currently a three-to-one shot. Um, Sharia is a 16-to-one shot. As Tim pointed out, this is a, you know, you, you've got to back horses like that. So certainly be carrying some of mine. So I think Mostadaf is the, the most likely winner of this race. I love his profile. He's, he's, a, he's a proper race horse. I like horses. With the, I like late developers that, that run as, as entires at five. They're that, that not doing it when they're, they're young. They're not shuffled off to... Um, to uh, stud, they're allowed to mature and develop, and this lad matured and developed into uh, one of the very best, and uh, I think is the likely winner, uh, most likely winner. But say you look at prices, three to one him, sixteen to one the lad on the inside. You've got a back lad on the inside as well. If you fancy Mustard, which I do, August Rodin. I don't know what to make of him. You know, he's, that some bits of his form are like he's like what Americans call an Oxo horse. Not quite where you get a good and a duffin, a good and a duffin. Um, he's had. You know, um, you know, he's running the uh, the the Guineas was um, forgettable. Then he wins um, the uh, Derby, wins the Irish Derby. Then he's running the King George was forgettable. <sighs> You'll have to remind me what the, if there was any reasons for that. And then he comes back and wins the champion at, um, at Leopardstown. So I don't know what to make of him. You know, quite capable of winning it clearly, but I'm not sure about the reliability. There was no excuse given the. The only thing they could come up with was he's developed an aversion to traveling on the day. Because um, it's easy to forget that the Derby was run. I know. It's easy to forget that the Derby being run at half one. So just if you don't know, any horse that Aidan O'Brien runs in Europe wakes up at Ballydoyle that morning and goes to bed at Ballydoyle that night. They all fly out uh, to race in the UK in the morning. Same for France. The only way that changes is when they go international, extreme international, Dubai, America. Um, and Aiden changed things for the Breeders' Cup last year. He he had a bit of a barren spell at the Breeders' Cup, and he's constantly evolving. So they sent horses out a good couple of days earlier last year, let them settle in, and obviously they tore the place to pieces last year. Um, they did the same thing at Dubai, and um, they're going to do the same thing again this year. The horses have, have arrived well ahead of time. Interviewing Aiden before the Derby, after that bomb out in the Guineas, I I thought he had no. I'd backed him at sixteen to one, fourteen to one, twelve to one, and ten to one for the Derby, and I almost ripped up all those digital dockets because um, I thought he had no chance. How is he going to turn around a twenty-eight link defeat, uh, twenty-two link defeat behind Caldine in the two thousand Guineas within twenty-eight days? Aiden O'Brien, that's how. Uh, it was a remarkable achievement to get him to win, but they shipped him over on the. Th- either the Wednesday night or the Thursday morning. So he was at, he was in the UK for a couple of days because the derby was being run at half past one. They didn't want to take a risk that he'd somehow miss the race. And 
for the King George, they flew him out that morning. So the theory was he's developed an aversion to traveling on the day. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I don't think anybody does, really. The fact is, he was woeful there. He was woeful in the Guineas, but he was brilliant in the Irish Champion Stakes. And that was a really strong performance. And every single run of this horse's life, with the exception of one, he's been favoured. And the only time he wasn't was the Derby. So the lads must have been a little bit nervous that he wasn't going to be quite himself. And yet he managed to go and win every other time he's been sent off favoured. And I think this race sets up perfectly for him. Mastodaf is clearly a brilliant horse. I got him badly wrong uh, after Royal Ascot. I thought that was, I thought it was a bit of a fluke, to be completely honest about it. Um, and look, looking back on it, I'm still perplexed by that performance. I think my line on Talksport was, "Where the hell did that come from?" Because he never suggested anything like that in his life. And you go back through the form of that race, it's woeful. Sir Michael Stout, pop quiz, hot shots. How many winners has Sir Michael Stout had in the UK in 2023? Oh, okay. Not sure. It wouldn't be that many. Barry? <laughs> uh, not for me. I, I, I'm uh, following American racing here. So. 20, I'll leave that to Tim. 27. Oh, I was going to say 25. I, I didn't want to in case I embarrassed myself, but yeah, okay. 27. Not a shot. It, he's, he's a bit more about quality than quantity these days, isn't he? Oh, that's bad. For a trainer of his caliber, that's, there's something not right at that yard. I, I couldn't tell you what it is. There's obviously something not right at Charlie Appleby's yard as well. Um, the reason I mention that is because Baybridge was second favorite in that race, and he just did not perform at all, and that's been a, a theme for him this season. My Prospero was a Group 2 horse. Adar was retired on the back of a defeat in a four-runner race at odds-on in Group 2 company at Newmarket on his next start. The thing I can't get my head around is Luxembourg. Luxembourg came into it having won a Group 1. He's beaten four lengths. And if you use him as a guide, then Mostadaf's away and gone. Because how can Auguste Rodin beat Mostadaf when Luxembourg got within half a length of him, but Mostadaf was able to bury Luxembourg by four lengths at Royal Ascot? Ascot produces some funny results from time to time, and I think that was a funny result. And then you get the Jumont International, and that's where I was eating humble pie because yeah. I was adamant that Paddington would do them that day. And they drastically changed oh. tactics. Out they went, made a, oh, I had to eat humble. Lizzie Kelly and I both had to eat humble pie on air. But I look back on that. Paddington was beaten. Was, Go on. I was just going to say, I was actually all over the winner that day. I was oh, trying to give myself a right. crap. I, I put it up on mine too. I took, I took out the TriCast like 50 times. I mean, it paid two, Bob, but I really liked him. Can I make a point about Mustadath? Okay. He arrives here after a break of 73 days. Now, have a listen to this. First start in the race, he wins. The next time he has a break, 92 days. Comes back, wins. Next time he has a break, 195 days. Wins. Next break, 58 days. Wins. Next uh, next. Break was 146 days, comes out, wins. Next break, 88 days, wins. Next break, 63 days, was it your wins? This horse loves a laugh. I'm beginning to see a pattern. <laughs> yep. I, I, for mine, he's the pick of the Europeans. I really think so. I, look, the, the draw could be a little bit tricky again the nine. We'll just have to... You know, I hope Jim Crowley can get him into a good spot. But you know, all things being equal on the day, and obviously I'm going to back the Japanese horse because I think it's a ridiculous the way he's priced. He should be at least half the price. But if you're asking me what's the horse that 
I think is the most likely win. If my life depended on it, I would back Mr. Daff. I just think, and I rode a lot of horses like this when I was riding this, just a lot of horses, for whatever reason, they've got to have a break between their runs. And some of them might only be three weeks, some of them it's two months. And I think this fellow is exactly like that because when you look at his first up record, you wouldn't find a better first up record unless you were talking about a Frank or a Black Caviar horse that's undefeated. It's incredible how good this horse is first up. Yeah, that's a very valuable point to make as well. I, I wonder about that Jubbant International form. Was I have a feeling Paddington had just come to the end of his tether and it was just another step a little bit too far. Look, he was brilliant that day. Uh, if he can replicate that here, then of course he wins. And on a line through Luxembourg, as I said, if you if you trust that Royal Ascot form and if you think he was um if you think that form is real, then he's probably gonna win. I have a slight concern about him over this distance. I have a slight concern about the fact that he would have been trained for the champion stakes and then he's missed that race, hasn't had race conditions, and then flies all the way to California to compete in a mile four turf race, and the fact that he's drawn in stall nine. I'm, I'm happy enough to skip him. The way this race is going to set up, I think, is perfect for August Rodin. You've got Broom in there who's got no chance of winning it, but he'll do a job. You've got Bolshai Ballet who comes into this on the back of a, a huge run in a grade one company at Saratoga last time out, where he finally, in the sword dancer, began to actually fulfill the potential that they thought he had. I'm amazed he's still a Coolmore horse, to be honest. Um, but that was a, a really strong performance. Both of those horses will be in there running on their merits. <clears throat> but I'm sure they will also be advantageous to how this race will be run for Augusto Dan as well. I think this is perfect for him. Trip is ideal. Ground should be no problem. You've got rhyme. This race reminds me an awful lot of the 2003 running, which is the best running of this race in my mind. High Chaparral and Joe Hart dead heating with Falbrav back in third. Mastodaf is the Falbrav. Augusto Rodin is the High Chaparral. And up to the mark is the Johar. And I think up to the mark, I think Todd Pletcher has looked at this race in the similar way to how my mind is working. That Mastodaf maybe is a little bit flattered. I'm not telling you he's a bad horse and you can never take away what he did. That win in the Prince of Wales was amazing. That win at, at York... He was the best horse. He was better than Paddington, and he was better than his stable companion, Nashua. But maybe, just maybe, he's going to be vulnerable over this 12 furlongs. King of Steel will definitely be vulnerable after a really hard run last time out, and I will eat humble pie if he goes and wins. So if those two are vulnerable, suddenly this becomes a much more open race. And going for a Breeders' Cup mile that looked like a lesser race and an easier option, maybe the mile four is going to be a better fit for up to the mark. I think Augusto Dan, up to the mark to a certain extent, Onesto, who put in a huge performance behind Ace Impact in the arc the other day. Um, and horses, French runners have got a terrific record at the Breeders' Cup, but certainly arc horses coming to the Breeders' Cup turf have got a great record. So my box exacta and my trifecta is going to be Augusto Rodin, Onesto, up to the mark, and I'm going to stick in Sherar as well. And if those four end up fighting at the finish with Mastodaf, King of Steel, falling out the back of the telly, then it will be gravy dripping everywhere and I will be drinking mowing I, on my way on my way to fly out to California to go and celebrate with the lads. I, I, look, I just want to throw up a counter-argument about Mr. Death last time out and saying Pennington was coming to the, the end of his tether and he only just won. And that's all valid and that's all fair enough. But let's not forget he was ridden completely the opposite to what he was at Ascot. Frankie said afterwards he had to ride him upside down to beat Paddington. 
So if anything, I know it wasn't much of a margin. I know it was a small field, and you can make the argument that Paddington was coming to the end of his tether, given he's had a pretty tough campaign. But I think you've got to give the horse a lot of credit. At Ascot, he was held up. He ran, runs over the top of them. Whereas at York, he was very much a pace horse there. And I, 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 I think he's... I think he's a very, very good horse. He made all at York, and that's no mean th uh, feat. The other thing is, too, the, the York race, I know it's a flat track, but it, it's, it's 10 and a bit furlongs, isn't it? Yeah. The Jump Monte International. It's a soft mile yeah. and a half compared to Europe. Uh, that was something I was thinking about today as well. Why, why change tactics? He was so good. Like, he was the second highest. He thought he had to ride him that way to beat Paddington. He didn't think he could sit too far off Paddington and run over the top of him. Yeah, but I think Pad that's what he said in an interview afterwards. But Paddington wasn't the second highest rated horse in the world at the time. Masterdaff was. So, Ma like, Paddington was favourite. We, like, us mug punters, I had backed Paddington and uh, was getting stuck into him. But if, if you believe your horse is as good as the ratings are saying, then why are you changing tactics to go and beat Paddington? Just go out and run your race the way you want. Uh, look, uh, maybe I'm. There's a there's a very possibility. There's a, there's a great thing we say on the final front podcast. Don't complicate your mind, and it may very well be the case that I have completely complicated my mind. That I have read way too much into this, and I've fallen down some Alex Jones tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. The psychic vampires are stealing the souls of your children, and I and I just think that this. Master that form is a little bit overrated. Clearly, you both like him, and it's more than likely I'm going to be eating humble pie at the end of this. But he's, he's, a, he's a three to one shot. And I feel like a judge here. I've been listening to the, the prosecution and the defense, and I'm sort of, I, I, I've got to make my mind up. And uh, Emmett, you've not persuaded me. Um, <laughs> the case goes to Tim. <laughs> All right. Take, take it away, Tim. All I was going to say, you know, I think this is, you know, like, this is a game of inches and everything counts. He had to give Paddington seven pounds. Yeah. Three-year-olds at the breeders, he's only got to give him four. Now, I know it's only three pounds, but if he wins by a lip, that three pounds important. Yeah, and they would have known that from Emily Upjohn's defeat in the Coral Eclipse as well. And they would have also then known exactly how to beat him. So, look, it, it worked to perfection that day. It may very well work to perfection in this race as well. I'm with Augusto Rodin. Um, that's my ambitious box exacta is going to be, and the trifecta will be, Ernesto up to the mark and Shera along with him. Uh, one, two, three for you, Barry Faulkner. Um, I, I, I'm with uh, Mossadaf. Uh, the two is Shera, and I don't know about the third leg uh, at the moment. I, probably, I mean, I, I, I can't see Augusto Rodin not being involved, but uh, I think the other two might be too. Tim? Oh, look, I, my, my play here is going to be uh, Shiraya, the, the Japanese horse. A lot of respect for Mustadaf. He's the other one I'd put in. And a quick mention for Warlike Goddess. Gee, she's a, yeah. she's a really consistent filly. She's a wonderful story as well. You know, she only costs 1200 bucks as a weanling. And here she is. She's won 11 for 17. Good run in this last year when she finished third. Not too worried about the draw for her because she's a hold-up type. I mean, ideally, they'd probably prefer to be in 7, 8, 9, somewhere around there. But... Um, the draw for her isn't as bad as what, what it would be for a few others. So, you know, she's not getting any younger. She's a six-year-old now. But win, lose, or draw, I, I think you'll get a run for your money. Producer Trish just said, you're probably wrong about this, um, but remind everybody that you did have the forecast in this race last year and that you argued with Barry that Rebels Romance was the better of the two Godolphin horses and that he would win. And everybody, including Naomi and Barry, were all saying, no, you're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> so maybe, maybe... Uh, broken clocks and all that will be right again. Um, 
<laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. That's my, that's again, fat guy in the milkshake store clutching at straws uh, because more than likely the boys are right and Mastodaf is the one who's going to go and win. Uh, Breeders' Cup Classic, which is run at the earlier time of 10.40 and the third last race on the card. Uh, I, I kind of lost a little bit of interest in this race, Barry, after Archangelo came out. So I'm very much dependent on both of you uh, to guide me through. Arabian Night for that Paragon of Virtue. Bob Baffert is the 11-4 to 4 favorite. Is he going to win? Um, I don't think so. Um, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure he's even the best horse from the Baffert uh, barn. Because the one of his that won the Pensy Derby, I can't find them. Um, what's Baffert's other horse in this race? Uh, Saudi Crown. Um, I think, uh, you know, to me, he looks the, almost the equivalent of that. I've read a lot and heard a lot about um, the older horses not being up to up to the mark this year. But um, White Obario, again, going to a, a trainer with a history, shall we say, uh, he's come up with a, a, a stonking run last time. Um, but I, I, again, I, I love um, I love the Japanese horse here, Ushba Sesoro, and again another one whose uh, record is very very hard to knock. And um, the quality of the Japanese horses uh, coming and, and tackling uh, race in uh, USA, in Dubai, not so much in Europe. The the Ark um, Holy Grail uh, still evades them, but. Um, Ushba Tesoro is my idea of the winner in in this race. Yeah, I'm with you. I was all over Archangelo for this, and it's a real shame that he's retired. Um, I, I can't quite get away from the Japanese Raider uh, for all that my knowledge of American dirt racing is not quite what it used to be. But he just he does stick out like, like a sore thumb, and the fact that Barry is so keen on him makes me keen on him as well, Tim. Uh, do you have an alternative view, though? Actually, I don't. I'm going for the Japanese Raider as well. I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment, but I want to throw you guys a, a pop quiz now. Uh-oh. Okay. This race was first run in 1984. Bob Baffert's won it four times, the first time in 2014. Those four winners all had, well, at least two things in common, but two things that jump off the page for mine. Now, obviously, he's got the favourite here, so that will give you a little bit of a clue. But he's winners, by the way, Bayern in 2014, American Pharaoh the next year, Arrogant in 2016, Authentic in 2020. What did all four have in common? A couple of things. Yeah. I, I know one thing that what Bayern had not in common with anything. He was the luckiest of the four. The, <laughs> horse that, the horse that should have beat him there got completely wiped out at the, uh, at the starting gate. And I'm not talking from my pocket because I actually, I actually backed Bayern. as one of the luckiest winners I've ever had in my life because the Horse that would have beaten him got killed. Uh, not when I said killed, didn't get killed. He got um, uh, lots of trouble, should we say? Blinkers tossing one in. No, look, it, it's a very simple thing. Same but prep it, run? It, because no, well, it, it, it's it's a very simple thing. Bill things because it, it lines up with Arabian Night. All four of his winners have been three-year-olds. Three-year-olds, yeah. Oh, oh for God! This fellow's a three-year-old, and he's going to lead. So. Look, I don't think he's, he's, he's certainly not as good as American Fair Arrogant or Authentic, I, 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 but I don't think this is an overly tough race. So I, I think that, I wouldn't say it's not overly tough, I think it's a good race, but I don't think it's a great renewal. Um, so I, I can see why he's favourite for Bob Baffert. He'll jump from the outside, he'll look for the lead, depending on what happens from there, and there is a bit of pace here. But I'd, I'd be prepared to take him on. I also like Ushba Tesoro. I, I, look, he's been an absolute revelation, this horse, since switching to dirt. If you look at his record beforehand, he had 22 starts on turf, 
He was a three-time winner. No one knew the horse. Even in Japan, they barely knew the horse. They switch him to the dirt. He's won six from seven, including this year's Dubai World Cup, when he came from last in a big field around the bend to win, I think, by about two, two and a half lengths uh, running away. And here's an interesting thing for you. After Dubai, they, they put him away to avoid the summer heat in Japan. The connections have actually come out and said he doesn't like hot weather. So hence they basically put him away for all of summer. They brought him out for a, a, a return run in a, a race far less than this um, as his lead-up. He, he duly won that. And here he is ready to roll at um, the Breeders' Cup. As I say, I don't think it's a – there's no standout horse in the race, as you would expect in a, a – uh, a, a dirt classic, there's plenty of speed here. He's going to be out the back, so I guess he's going to need some luck. But, you know, I, I think potentially the, the Japanese could run a play with the classic this year. Do they know what the temperature is in California right now? Yeah, it's not too bad, to be fair. It's a lot better than here, but it's you know, they're balmy days. It, it's not stinking hot like you get in the middle of summer. I think it's the low 20s over there this week, is it not? Yeah, Which actually, is, what's that? That's about seventy-five or something. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, because um, Laura King was talking about her boots being destroyed, and then Roy Delargue was making that joke about how <laughs> she's missed a trick there. She really should have been auctioning those uh, on. Uh, Laura's too innocent to get what he was saying. Right, the Breeders' Cups Turf Sprint. Actually, lads, one. I think, I think I'm too innocent to get <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> uh, Laura King. One of the best in the game. Make sure you're following on Twitter if you are not already. And she is there at the Breeders' Cup doing some fantastic updates. And there are some of her old boots knocking around if you want to get them as well. Uh, what is the one, two, three for you in the Breeders' Cup Classic? Uh, Barry Faulkner. Um, let me just throw me. I've got moved on to the next race. Um, Tim Carroll. I think... Jane <laughs> away, Tim. All right, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to be really boring. I'm looking at the top of the market. I'm going to put Ushba Tesoro in, Arabian Night for second, and White of Mario, who ran big last time out. Only had a couple of runs for the trainer, as Barry said. He's got a little bit of history there. I'm just slightly concerned about him in a high-pressure 10-furlong race. If this was a 9-furlong race, he'd probably be my play. So if you want to do it in a tote way, my number's here, 8, 12, and 3. I like it. Barry? I'll have the two Baffert horses following home the Japanese, so that uh, is uh, Arabian Night, the 12, and the other one, Saudi Crown, the 6. All right, to the Breeders' Cup. Oh, sorry, sorry, not, I do apologise, not a Baffert horse, the um, Brad Cox uh, trains Saudi Crown. The Breeders' Cup turf sprint, 11.25 our time. Uh, Live in the dream is the 4-1 to one favourite after being beaten in his prep run at Keeneland over five and a half furlongs. Uh, fairy tale story for trainer Adam West, who has spoken to on the podcast and on TalkSport 2 as well. Absolute gentleman. Uh, and this horse obviously is going to ping from the gates. 4-1. to one. Bradsell, 9-2, to two, the Royal Ascot winner. Caravel, who was coming to Royal Ascot, then they decided to go for a race at New York instead. Uh, a 10-1 shot, and obviously um, a big winner on Breeders' Cup night last year. Uh, Barry, have you settled on a selection for this race? Uh, I'm probably going to talk myself into one, or you, you guys will talk me into one here. The point for me about uh, living the dream was uh, he went five and a half furlongs last time at, um, at Keeneland, and he was only picked up at the half furlong pole. So after five furlongs, he was actually in the lead, um, got out quicker than the Americans. I mean, you think uh, how Americans mm. are noted, noted for getting swiftly out of the gate. Well, he was he beat them to it and led them a merry dance. He got all the speed horses around him, but they couldn't touch him. Um, he's going to have lots more here. Uh, must have a chance of seeing it out, but uh, they're going to be charging. If you're on him, 
and he gets out, then uh, it'll be, be squeaky bum time as they turn for home. So I'm not um, going to go with him. I'm, I'm actually um, uh, turning into a, a, a sino, is it sinophile, Japanese, Japanese, someone's a fan of the Japanese, with the Jasper Crone, um, the 11 horse, and again, another one with uh, good form coming out of Japan. Uh, a couple of people I know who know Japanese uh, racing um, have got me interested in this one at a, at, a, at a big price. And in a race where I've got nothing that's a standout for me, then uh, he's going to carry my uh, my modest uh, few pounds. The five furlongs at York would be probably the quickest five furlong race in Britain. How would the five furlong York track compare to Santa Anita, Barry? Well, it's, obviously you're going around the turn. Interestingly, when I look at this race normally, and, and same with the juvenile sprint, I look for horses who run well at Chester, um, Lingfield, anywhere where there's a, a, a swift turn. And, um, of course, the uh, who won the uh, sprint a couple of years ago. Uh, Glass Lipper. I'd actually been, I think I'd run at Chester and run well at Chester. So I, I'd look for horses who've actually uh, gone round a turn and... Um, so that would be uh, would be my point, and the fact that the fact that living the dream has gone round a turn at um, at uh, Keeneland and gone round a turn at Lingfield Park, by the way, um, would certainly turn me on to him. I'm not so sure about Brazil. If you look at his form, Curra, York, Ascot, uh, Haydock, none of these uh, are, are turning tracks. So uh, you're uh, you know you, uh, he's got to get you've got to take his ability to take a turn on trust. Yeah, that would concern me. Um, Luke Morris obviously replaces Holly Doyle, who's suspended. But that would be a major concern for me. He needs to turn form around with Living the Dream as well. Uh, the f- would Santa need to be a similar speed track to York then over the five furlongs, Barry? Well, yeah. I mean, Santa Anita, the turf track is always going to be a, a speed track there because, again, I think the weather's set fair for the week. So, you know, when we're calling it a firm, you know, it wouldn't even be our good firm. It'd probably be genuine firm. Uh, even when they call it a good track, it's not uh, not our good. So you you you've got to be able to handle um, very sharp ground. Tim, who's your pick? Yeah, look, it's a funny race, isn't it? Because when we look at the turf races, I think even the Americans, the, the first ones they look at are the European runners. But oddly enough, that the one you mentioned, Glass Slippers, she's the only winner from Europe in this race since uh, 2008. Yet I think we've got the top two in the betting in uh, Living the Dream and, and Brad Sell, but. I think we can see a bit of a fairy tale here. I think Adam West and Sean Corain can win it with Living the Dream. That race, that prep run in America, uh, he he went quick as you know, he's only got one speed, hasn't he? Absolutely flat out, but he did get dogged all the way. And the two horses that were up there with him, they finished way out the back. Whereas he finished fourth, not beaten far, and as Barry mentioned, that was five and a half furlongs. This is five furlongs. They're not, uh, even though this is a Breeders' Cup race. Believe you me, they're not going to go any quicker in this than what they went in his prep race. So I, I think we can get a little bit of a fairy tale there. I, I think Living the Dream is going to be tough to beat. If I was to flag up a couple of others, I think Caravel. She won this race last year. She's won fifteen from twenty-five. Um, I think she's a little bit overpriced at the moment. The concern would be with her, she's only ever gone to the West Coast on one occasion, and that's when she bombed badly in this race in 2021. But having said that, she had an awfully tough trip, made it wide all the way. So I, I think you can forgive that one. And there's another one there by the name of Nobles. Now, he's actually by Noble Mission. We all remember Noble Mission, Frankel's brother. Uh, you wouldn't really expect a, a Noble Mission to be, you know, going around five furlongs in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. But 
Since August of last year, he's had seven starts on seven different tracks. And I know that's something we see a, a lot of over here, but that's rare in America. Normally they're based somewhere and then the good ones move around for the, the bigger races. Um, he's won in two countries, Canada and America. He's won on the turf. He's won on the all-weather. Now, this will be his first time at the top level, but at the moment he, he's just running very, very well. Um, he's quite versatile as well. He, he's very quick, so I would imagine they'll look to go forward. Um, and his speed figures, yeah, he's got a little bit to find with a few of these, but they kind of put him in the mix. So they'd be my my top three. But I, I do hope that, that live in the dream, and I think he can. I'd I, I just love to see it for Fadon West and Sean Crane. I, I just think it would be a really nice story. It's fantastic that it, Sean... Right. Go on, Barry. Sorry, just thinking the, the, the point you're making, I absolutely agree with everything you say, Tim, and it, it would be no surprise if he won, and I'd be cheering as loud as anyone. Caravelle's the one that interests me, the point you made about her is that... Um, you know, she was 40 to 1 when she won this last year. Yeah. And her form this year is not not falling off a cliff. She's been beaten a couple of times, um, but uh, had excuses two back. She got a right old whack at the start at uh, Saratoga. She's only done a net last time in a, in a short field. And, you know, the, the sort of price she was 7 to 1, you said, you know, she... She yeah. wouldn't surprise me if she was a repeat rider. She 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 ran to give you a little bit of a guide. She ran second in the Franklin, only beaten short margin last time. Now that's the race she won coming into this last year, but she ran exactly the same speed figure both years. So you'd have yeah. to think she's exactly where she was at last year and she was good enough to win this. So I, I if I was to flag one up that I think it's a bit overpriced, I'd have to say last year's winner uh, Caravel would be the one. Yeah, the Racing Post gave her a rating of one nineteen for her one sixteen for her win in this race last year. Despite the fact that she was beaten the last time, she's still got an RPR of one nineteen. So yeah, she's she's ahead. I just got one kickback to to uh, to Tim when you said that um, we've all, runners from this side of the pond have only won this um, once last year behind Caravel. Caravel was the only US trained winner of a turf race, and the next three, second, third, fourth, were all trained over here. So, yeah, so, uh, I, I suppose uh, the only point I'm making there is that with the turf races, when you look at the classic, especially when they stretch out a bit, the Europeans have been so dominant, or, or if not dominant, they've certainly more than held their own. This this is the one race, if you're talking about wins on the board, it's the one we've struggled to win. But it's no surprise. Actually, it's a very good point, because when you look back at when Glass Slippers won it, how she won it, uh, Tom Eves was like, had to thread the needle everywhere. She was over to the right, she was over to the left, and she got there. Whereas I suppose with living the he's more like a an American horse. He's going to bang out, so he he doesn't have to worry about all those sort of things because he's going to be yeah he's going to be off from the bell. Um, so I, I, look, potentially, I think hopefully anyway, he'll give Europe their, their second win in the race. Yeah, living the dream literally is the American point and shoot job, but he's trained in Epsom. Um, it would be mm. a fantastic story if he goes and wins. I think the nine to one about Caravel is just too big. Um, so I'm I'm going to side with her. Yeah, she was helped last year, of course, because Golden Pal completely missed the break. My yeah. So that's the one thing. Please, please don't let to live in the dream actually for once, Mr. Brick. If he's out, he's got uh, every chance. Did you see how many mares Golden Powell covered in his first season? No. 257. Well, to be fair, he is a sprinter. <laughs> if you if you if you look at so, I was looking at this the other day. There's something in that line that I'm not seeing, Tim. Yeah, I've kind of got oh. a feeling that, you know. 
Um, but look, Flightline, really interesting, isn't it? He's got 152 mares. I was having a look at his book, and honestly, I sort of made a bit of a joke that it might be a little bit inappropriate. I don't know. But to put it in human terms, when you look at his book, it'd be like if Usain Bolt went to start and he basically, his book was basically every lady athlete that won a medal at the last couple of Olympics. It, it, it's incredible. And here's the thing. he's He's got 152 mares there. Now, okay, there'll be a couple of deals, so it doesn't quite work out this way, but he's 200,000, so he's going to turn over 30 million American in his first season. And, and then we wonder why That's they're retired. Yeah. My goodness. I saw that tweet, and I'm pretty sure I liked it. It was, uh, it was a class one. Right, the final race, gentlemen, is the Qatar Racing Breeders' Cup Sprint. Six furlongs, elite power, the 6-4 to four favorite for Bill Mott, Erad Ortiz Jr., Dr. Chevelle, an 11-2 shot, Speedboat Beach for Bob Bathard and Mike Money-Smith, 6-1, to one, and Gnight, uh, a 7-1 to one shot. I, I look quite, I'm being, again, being grabbed in and sucked in by Gnight here. That 7-1 to one just seems a little bit too big to me, but Barry... Who do you like in the last race of the Breeders' Cup 2023? It's an odd one, isn't it? It's, I'm trying to work out the pace profile. I don't know whether Tim's got any views on that, but it really does seem to be a sprint without speed. That you know, that, Going back to in the date, in the first 23 years of this race, um, there was only one single-figure field. Since the addition of the Philly and Mare sprint and the turf sprint, I think there have been something like eight in the 16 or seven or, seven or eight in the 16 years since. Um, this race has become vastly less competitive. Ten to one was the around ten to one average price of the winner. Um, sorry, median price of the winner in the first twenty-three years. Five to one in the last sixteen. Um, but the puzzle here is: Elite Power is clearly the best horse in the race. But is there enough speed in this for him to run down? Um, I, I'm going to defer to Tim here because he's he, being the ex-jockey. He'll know all about having a clock in his head much more than I do. Yeah, actually, I, I quite like the chosen Bron here, who isn't a, a tear away leader either, but he's able to sit up a little bit closer than what the favourite is. If, if you look at his profile, he, he ticks plenty of boxes. He's won 13 from 17, rides here on a nine-timer. He won the Bing Crosby at Del Mar last time when having his first start in the grade one. But here's the thing for mine. At Santa Anita, 10 starts, he's a nine-time winner. He knows his way around this track better than half the trainers and jockeys. I, I, I actually quite like him in this. Yeah, it's interesting because he, he's, he's typical of what he used to get in the old days, the, the old lad gelding, you know, five-year-old, he's been around the block a few times, and not many miles on the clock and just developing into a into a brute of a runner, I think you'd call him. Yeah, um, and Sorry, Barry, I was just going to say, getting back to the point you made, he's quite versatile tactically. I mean, he has led and he has tracked. So if there's no pace here, the rider can sort of put him on the pace. And if they surprise us and go a little bit quickly, he might he might take a hold. The other thing about this race as well, there's been uh, this is the 11th time that they've held the, the, the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. So in the previous 10 runnings, only one favourite has won this race at Santa Anita. And if you look at the last 20 years, overall, only three favourites have won this race. So, you know, I, I think there's plenty to like about the chosen Bron in this. My only, I'm just looking down his, his form here, that he has run up a great sequence, but a lot of those were in California bred races. Reminds me a bit of the New York breads where they can pick up the major and pick up two allowances, pick up lots of, of um, lesser states, shall we say. But the, the, the plus, big plus for him is that when he stepped into open company in the Bing Crosby, he showed he could get it done. 
Yeah, exactly right. And then, and again, I know we, we can talk about how the dirt's going to ride, but if you look at this race traditionally, pace runners do well. And as I say, the chosen rider, although he's no tearaway leader or anything like that, they've actually ridden him from mid-division and even a bit further back. But he has one from the front as well. So I think he's got a lot of things in his favour. All right, he's 15 to 2. Uh, Barry, who are you going to side with? What what, did, what you got for Gunnar? What price you got for Gunnar, Jim? Seven to one. See, see that, that, I think that's a, a, a good price, Gunnar, because they say he beat um, Elite Power two back around. That was over seven furlongs, and I think he is likely to race close to the place than Elite Power is. Uh, but the, the the key horse for me here is Speedboat Beach, the Baffert horse who uh, likes to be on the front end, and I could see him uh, setting a pace. It depends how quick they go early. If they really go like. Uh, like stint, then it will set up perfectly for elite power, but it's no gimme. And I, I'm beginning to get a little bit uh, warm on Gunite. Yeah, I'm being suckered in here. I was all over him last year. I was all over him in Dubai. It didn't work out particularly well in either of those races, and now I'm all over him again. Uh, Naps, gentlemen. Actually, I'll get a one, two, three from you here. Um, Gunite to lead home who, Barry? Uh... The, the three outside horses. Oh, no, actually, no, I've got a, a sneak for Dr. Shibble, who actually was only beating a nose in this a couple of years ago. So he'll, he'll be in there. The two um, and the two outside, eight, nine. Two, eight, nine, my three for the box exam. Okay, and Tim? Yeah, look, I'm going to go with the chosen brawn. I'll put Elite Power in for second and Gunite for third. Gentlemen, Naps, best bets of Breeders' Cup 2023. Who is your Nap, Tim Carroll? Oh, look, I'd say good night, Olive, and the Phillies and Mare's uh, dirt sprint, but she's going to be pretty short, so I, I think I need to be a, a, a little bit more game than that. I'm going to go margin a turf mile. I, I think she'll be plenty tough to beat in that. Okay, she's definitely in some elaborate lucky 63 of mine as we try to shoot the lights out. Barry Faulkner, your nap? Uh, Porta Fortuna is my uh, the, the bet I, I would recommend uh, for one of the O'Brien boys. And of a value play, who would you be keenest on, Barry? Ooh, um, probably uh, Jasper Crone in the turf class. Tim, same for you? Uh, I'm going to go with Shirai in the turf classic, the Japanese horse. He will be placed, but he'll be placed behind Agostro Dan, the nap of the meeting. Uh, that's it. Thank you very, very much for watching, listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, likes and shares on social media. And of course, a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app uh, is much appreciated. It really helps with the algorithm. From Barry Faulkner, Tim Carroll, and myself, all the best. Gamble responsibly and all that monarchy for Breeders' Cup 2023. It's going to be an absolute barnstormer. Naomi Tucker will be here to review it all with us on Monday. Until then, be safe, be well, look after yourself and each other. God bless.